raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. And then there's some other stuff about interviews. And, and maybe, you know, for example, the Manning Passing Academy. Uh, I've been told that, you know, he committed to it the night before, just kind of ghosted him, didn't show up. That's Ooh. football royalty. And when you do that, that's going to kind of set off some alarms from people of like, hey, man, that's not how you conduct yourself, especially around the Manning family or just in general if you're going to be a franchise quarterback. So, uh, look, I still view him as the second quarterback uh, that should be taken in this draft class. He's the most accurate quarterback in this draft class. He showcased the athleticism and ability. Uh, anytime I've been around the kid, he's been an upstanding young man who's grown and matured into the leader that I think um, NFL teams are looking for. So, you know, some of that stuff. And, and as far as the system he plays and all the talent he plays around, he can't help that. He just can deliver the ball like he has and put up the numbers that he did. Oh, what's going on? Brian No and Jimmy Cook with you here on a Thursday. What a pathetic take by Brady Quinn. Get are you out kidding of here. me? Get what out a of here. He, he can't help the fortress of talent that he. Yeah, yeah technically, but I got to take that into account. <laughs> what kind of trash take is that? Look, Goodness. I view it as the same take that you had last week what, two or three weeks ago when I was criticizing Will Levis. You can't help where you end up. It needs to be taken into consideration. So maybe Brady was too far to the extreme. But the idea that like if you're defending Stroud and a critic wants to say, well, look at all the talent he had, I'm sorry he was good in high school. I I don't don't know what you want him to do. Like You got to play with what you have. You only can do so much, Brian. I just just don't understand where – put it this way, Jimmy. Now, you correct me if I'm wrong. Okay. But I think I'm dead right <laughs> right on the money here. I think there's a tendency to put your hands to the side and say, like Brady Quinn, well, he, he can't help it. C.J. Stroud, he can't help this. Far fewer people are going to say the same thing about Will Levis's lack of talent yeah. around him at Kentucky. Fair? You're right. You're right. That's a, that is a fair point. I, I, To be clear, in our debates, I have acknowledged that. But yes, general population, I, I would agree with you on that. Yes. Yes. See? There you go. But that's why we that's why we have this unique perspective here because we're willing to not blur the lines. We're willing to to accept what's there, which is that both of them, you look, you mentioned it a couple weeks ago. All the time in the history of the NFL draft, there are moments where players that came out of nowhere that played in no-name colleges and again, Kentucky's not a no-name college, but they are big picture in terms of football. It, it happens. That's not fair to just point to a player and say, "Oh, well because they went there, they can't possibly succeed in the NFL." But what I think you and I, you know, not to kind of toot the horn here, but have done a great job of balancing that with is accepting all the facts that are there, which is on Levis's side he can't help it that that's where he ended up taking a scholarship opportunity to or transferring to, I beg your pardon, after being at Penn State. C.J. Stroud can't help it that he ended up at Ohio State. That is the body work they had. All you can do is judge the tape with what they had and look at, to your point, what mattered more for both those quarterbacks. Was it the talent they had or was it the ability to read things and how much did the lack of or the benefit of talent help them read defense at the college level? So, in my opinion, overwhelmingly, with both guys, it's the talent that they had around them. Sure. Uh, that's where I stand. And if you look at C.J. Stroud, by the way, the, the comments that Brady Quinn made were on the Pick 6 podcast. I don't know if I mentioned that. I, I apologize if I didn't. 
Um, but yeah, and he was talking about C.J. Stroud not going to the Manning Draft Academy and kind of thumbing his nose at that. I love how we're looking at every little tiny detail <laughs> over here. Like, that's what we do when we're talking about top prospects. I get that. But in terms of C.J. Stroud and Will Levis, if we're looking at both those guys, because they both have a great chance to potentially land with the Indianapolis Colts. We'll get to the C.J. Stroud odds changing by the day here momentarily. But if you look at Will Levis, he didn't have one offensive teammate make all SEC first or second team. Not one guy. If you look at C.J. Stroud, I mean, get comfortable here for a second, uh, Jimmy Cook, as I (laughs) just go into detail talking about the stud players he had around him. It is, to say it's an embarrassment of riches doesn't even come close to what C.J. Stroud enjoyed at Ohio State. Think about this. Two two seasons ago, C.J. Stroud had, as wide receivers, Garrett Wilson, who was the 10th overall pick, Offensive Rookie of the Year with the Jets last season, okay? He also had Chris Olave, who was the 11th overall pick in last year's draft. He had over 1,000 yards receiving for the Saints last year. Oh, and by the way, two seasons ago, he also had Jackson Smith and Jigba, who's going to be a first-rounder this year. He had those three guys two seasons ago. And then it was just slim pickings this past season. He had Marvin Harrison Jr., Who's going to be the first wide receiver taken in next year's draft? Would be the first wide receiver taken in this year's draft, but he's not eligible. And he did have Jackson Smith and Jigba. He was hurt almost all season, only had five catches. And he had to just, he had to skimp. You know, he had to just barely, he was living paycheck to paycheck over here with Emeka Abuka, who is another stud receiver. And he's got a fortress of linemen in front of him. I said this right before the show. I said, I would hate to see C.J. Stroud as the Indianapolis Colts' next quarterback. (laughs) And Eddie Garrison gave me a, why? And I said, because the Colts don't have half the talent that Ohio State had when C.J. Stroud was there. And it sounds like an outlandish hot take. It's the truth. Did the Colts have also the 10th overall pick and the 11th overall pick and another first rounder where they can draft all wide receivers so C.J. Stroud can be comfortable and have a comparable supporting cast? No, they don't. They don't have half the talent Ohio State did in college. C.J. Stroud is going to be a dud. Mark my words. Okay, were you in the same boat here with Mac Jones then? Because when you look at Mac Jones at Alabama, he had Najee Harris, Brian Robinson, Devontae Smith, John Mechie, and Jalen Waddell. Yeah, he had a lot of talent. And now you're seeing Mark Mac Jones where he doesn't have half of that in the NFL. And what do you know? Numbers don't look as good. They didn't have a good second season at all. Some of that had to do with a, a defensive coordinator calling plays. But... I mean, you could have the best. You could have Sean McVay or whoever you think is the best play caller, Kyle Shanahan. He's not going to get guys open that can't get open routinely. And that's what you're seeing with the Patriots. Mac Jones is a great example. Mac Jones' numbers have gone in half and then some compared to what he was doing at Alabama when he's surrounded by a who's who. You're making my point, Eddie. I love that. Yeah, look at Mac Jones. A good example. His numbers have dwindled greatly, and a lot of it has to do with the lack of talent he enjoys right now compared to what he had in college. But what I'm trying to say here is people weren't knocking Mac Jones when he came out or when he was going into the draft of 
hey, he played with this guy, this guy, this guy. No, nobody knocked him. Everyone was praising him and saying that he was the next potential Tom Brady-ish quarterback because of how skimmler, skimmler, similar their <laughs> skill sets are, are comparable to how they act, their mannerisms and everything. But, I mean, now everyone wants to push that, hey, we have to knock C.J. Stroud because of who we played with. But I just don't think it's fair because you're you're criticizing a guy for going to a, a really good football institution and then you have to forgive somebody else who transferred away from Penn State because he couldn't make it as the starting quarterback hey. there and now he's at Kentucky and the, yes the skill position players aren't the same but you can't just give him a pass either because okay. there is a reason he was at Kentucky. I'll give you another example. Josh Allen. Was he surrounded by a who's who at Wyoming? No. No. And his numbers sucked. Now he gets to the NFL not surrounded by a who's who. First couple of seasons, he's an outlier. Very good. Though. Wouldn't you agree? No, no, I would not agree that he's an outlier. Your supporting cast matters. No, I, I'm not saying it doesn't, but I'm saying the leap that he had, he, he's an oh, outlier to be able to do that. Like, Absolutely. if you look at Will Levis, you can make the same comparisons and make the same comments that he went to Kentucky, didn't have weapons around him. What was he supposed to do? Obviously, the accuracy issues weren't as pertinent or potent as it was for Josh Allen during his time at Wyoming, but. Are you? I just want to make sure, are you doing a player comp or are you saying that when you look at Will Levis and you look at the opportunity for him at the next level with the right talent, you see Josh Allen as the ceiling? Oh, I, absolutely. I could see that okay. as the ceiling for Will Levis. Absolutely. But really what I'm doing, I'm not doing like a Will Levis is the next Josh Allen. I am just simply saying your supporting cast matters a ton. And when you look at Josh Allen, when he's at Wyoming, doesn't have great numbers. First couple of years with the Bills, doesn't have great numbers. Then all of a sudden, year three gets Stephon Diggs. That's a big reason, not the only reason, but a big reason why he had a big leap in year three going forward. I just look at Josh Allen and why he was able to have that leap and why all that occurred for him as, like, yes, he was a misscouted prospect. And I'm not saying scouts, look, they get it wrong all the time. I just look at Will Levis and I see what the reports say on him and what I've seen from him on tape. And I worry that even with an improved offensive system, those struggles are going to plague him against top level defenses in the NFL. I just do. That's what I see. And that's my concern for why I don't want them to take him at four. Well, I mean, listen, we're all wrong from time to time. Sure. Jimmy, you know? <laughs> yeah. no one's perfect. I'm not saying that <laughs> I'm not saying that you or I are are always going to be correct on things. I just those are my fears with him is when you hear, yeah, he holds on to the ball too long or when he has exotic coverages he's facing against, he doesn't read them well. Weapons will help that, but if he still can't read defenses, you can have Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle out there and it's not going to matter. Like there's going to be oh. a cap on what he can do. Oh, I totally disagree. There will with be that. if he can't read defenses. There's going to be a cap. Well, like that's yeah, sure, yeah, right. If you're building it on that, but I'm telling you, I just fundamentally disagree because all of a sudden, if you have Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle out there, man, you're reading defenses at a much higher rate. You know what I mean? Like you're able to see, wow, this guy's open. Let me get him the ball. Like, it matters so much. I just don't see if Will Levis has that type of talent. I just don't see him struggling. Here's the cap for me. Here's why I say there's a cap on what he can do. And I'm going to go in my wheelhouse because I, I know it very well. The same exact weapons, identical weapons, were around for Alex Smith's time in Kansas City. And there was a clear ceiling for what that team could do. Mm-hmm. I'm not comparing Will Levis to Alex Smith. I'm just saying that was a quarterback that reached a point where, you know what? That's all he could do. 
Then you look at a quarterback that, again, has more gifted skill set, has a stronger arm, can read things very well. Some of the same comparisons could be made in terms of arm strength with Will Levis. I'm not going to take that away from him. But you look at where that captain rose, where the ceiling rose for Kansas City, like that is a real thing. If you reach a point in your quarterback development where that's it, that's all the growth that you have, you're capped out. And that's what I worry when I look at Will Levis. I'm not saying that C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson are miracle workers. I just like their billables better than I do Levis across the entire body of work, not just the weapons they had around them. I just go back to I wish we could do role reversal. I really do. I wish I know. I know. we could have Will Levis at Ohio State for even one of these past two seasons. Just give me one. Give me, give me two seasons ago when you had Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. Three first-round wide receivers. Like, let me see Will Levis with an outstanding offensive line in front of him punking bad pen, uh, Big Ten teams more times than not, right? I want to see Will Levis with that type of talent going up against Maryland in Indiana. That's what I want to see. And I would love to see C.J. Stroud behind a ragtag offensive line with hand-me-down wide receivers the past season that uh, Will Levis had going up against better SEC teams more times than not. I would love to see how that would have played out. As would I, because then you would have the answers to my questions. You would be able to confidently say whether or not the scout on him is biased because of where he went and because of the lack of talent that he had, or if he's actually a high-level quarterback. Unfortunately, we don't have that at our disposal. All we can go off of is where they ended up playing their college football, the last system they were in, the last impression they made on us. And again, to be clear... I'm not saying that those aren't fair points. I'm just saying we don't have the luxury of being able to do that. We have to dive deeper into what he displayed and what he could be. Now, if you want to tell me that the campaign that he had in 2021, when he had a little bit more familiarity within uh-huh. the system in that first year at Kentucky, and there were comparisons there to say, okay, like this guy has a lot of comp to Matthew Stafford. Like, yes, that excites me a ton. But you have to gauge How much, and the same thing is true if we bring Anthony Richardson into the mix, how much did those coordinator swaps, how much did the weapons around them really impact the player they can be versus how are they processing things? Not just the decision-making that they make in terms of finding an open receiver or not. How long are they holding on to the football? What are they doing off-platform? How are they adjusting to the pressures that are there? And when I look at Will Levis, all I can look off of is those last two seasons, and it does. It's a concern for me, Brian, and it will be until week one next year if he's under center. I just, nothing's going to be able to cure that for me. Okay, all right. So if you look at Will Levis these past two seasons, all right, you look at him two seasons ago, it was a better year, just statistically, okay? 24 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. His numbers took a hit the last season, okay? One of the reasons is talent. Yes. When you go back to it, Wandale Robinson – was a second-round pick last year. So Will Levis had a second-round pick at wide receiver two seasons ago. He lost that wide receiver last season. It's not E equals MC squared to figure out, like, man, what what are some of the reasons why his numbers went south? You look at an offensive coordinator switch. You look at Wandale Robinson not being there. You look at some injury issues. Like, this isn't really hard. It's not like hieroglyphics and we're trying to figure out like, what the hell does this mean over here? Losing Wandale Robinson was a big deal. So when we're talking, and that was one of his only guys, 
right? Like, it's not like he had three other first-rounders and was just recycling dudes. Like, that was a major, major loss. So it's not a mystery why Will Levis's numbers took a bit of a hit last season compared to two years ago. But when I... I, I, look, I don't disagree with that. Like, I get I get point A to point B of it. The same thing could be true, and I've said that before when we've done the Anthony Richardson battle with him and Levis, is that he had a new offensive coordinator last year, and again, you look at the wide receiver pool that he's dealing with. I get it. Florida's a bigger brand name. Like, they just are. They carry more weight, even though they haven't won a national championship in 17 years. They're still going to carry more weight than Kentucky in football. I get that, but he still wasn't with the rich war chest of weapons that C.J. Stroud had, or even even though Bryce Young didn't have as many, it's still Alabama. They had more options there than you would have at Florida and Kentucky. So I think both of them were in the same wheelhouse of that comparison. My bigger issue is when I look at, and again, I haven't watched every single snap of Will Levis's entire college career. If you have, God bless you, but I don't think that you have taken the time to sit down Shame and watch every you. snap Shame either. On you, I know, Jimmy. I know. I, I, thought, I, thought, I thought that you had uh, like some dedication to your craft. I, 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 I do to some extent. Regrettably, when I have seen enough from the prospect and I want to pass on him, I guess I stop my deep dive. That's probably on me. All jokes aside, though, when I look at the full overall synopsis of him, I think that he can be a starter in the NFL. I don't think he is a franchise-changing starter. And by that, I mean, and you could make the same argument about C.J. Stroud. Eddie brought him up already. I look at the hype that was around Mac Jones. I look at the hype that was around Carson Wentz. Yes, Wentz had one really, really good season as rookie year and then was pretty much up and down the rest of the tenure. We won't get into the Colts debate still. Up and down would be my overall consensus there. I don't see the difference maker if Will Levis' name is called next week. I just don't. Oh, I do. I absolutely do. I think that if you give a dude that has the tools actual weapons, I think you can absolutely see a franchise quarterback. I completely believe that. Now, conversely, if you take away the weapons that C.J. Stroud has grown accustomed to and you're expecting him at a the highest level we got in football, to just somehow still be a franchise quarterback, difference maker, I don't believe that's the case. And now also this, I mentioned that the odds are shifting greatly here. Look at C.J. Stroud. So they were, to be the fourth overall pick, it was at 22-1 to just a couple of days ago. 22-1 to to be the fourth overall pick. You know what it is now? 2-1. to he is odds. He is dropping. Remember the old Bob Seger song? That's right. Lock on rock. He's just sinking right now, at least with the draft odds. Who knows where he goes, when, all that type of stuff. But uh, he has sunken from 22 to 1. Long shot. Think about that. You put 100 bucks, you got $2,200. Yeah. If CJ Stroud goes number four overall. Now, if you put 100 bucks down, you would get 200. That's it. That's all you get. No 2,200, 200. So at least the uh, gambling community sees CJ Stroud's stock slipping a little bit over here. We talked about that last week. There's a lot of smoke involved within the gambling community. Even to this point, it's okay. How much of it do we still trust when we say Vegas always knows and how much of it is them just adapting to some of the same and maybe a little bit tighter insider information that we don't have as we get closer to the NFL draft. I want to, clarify one thing because you brought up a good point in terms of looking at whichever one of these quarterbacks that they draft 
it's on the Colts to supply the weapons around them. We, we both yeah. know this. The fan base knows this. You look at it right now. Colts fans would be hopeful that a big leap happens from Alec Pierce this season and that Michael Pittman Jr. is able to solidify himself more as a number one wide receiver in this league. And I don't know if I see that for Michael Pittman Jr. I think he's a great number two. I don't know if he is who I want as your top tier wide receiver. But all that is to say, regardless of it's Levis or if it's Stroud or if it's Richardson, I understand like I think you do that it's not going to be magic for any one of them because it's going to take the Colts more than one season to supply the weapons that are necessary to have a contending offense in the NFL. Yes, they have one of the best running backs in the game right now in Jonathan Taylor, but they still have issues they have to address within their wide receiver room. So I agree with you. Whoever they take, when we talk a year from now, I'm not expecting a playoff berth or necessarily like MVP honors right out of the gate for either of these quarterbacks. But when I look at Boward has his guy now, whichever quarterback it is, and I look at how they build around him, I think as they get that talent in there and as all these potential prospects are at a level playing field within a Colts system, I think Stroud will be the one that shines the best. I do. Oh, Yeah, well, I go back to this, Jimmy, is we keep on hearing about being quote-unquote pro-ready, you know? And I've stressed this point many times because it's not just what the quarterbacks bring to the table. It's also what the teams bring sure. to the table in terms of a supporting cast, the talent that they have. So if you look at, let's take three guys, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, Bryce Young. Okay, now make sure you're sitting down because I'm going to say something positive about Bryce Young. There are okay. many things, many things to say positive about Bryce Young. The knock is, of course, the smallest stature, and I'm worried about him remaining upright. But when we look at supporting cast, if we're talking about pro-ready, when you're one of the top picks, you're typically going to a team that's less talented Correct. than other teams, unless they just pull vault from the teens to the top of the draft and make a, a switch like that, have an all-in move, you're going to a less talented team. Who's best suited to do that? Well, the positive thing about Bryce Young is his talent went down this past season, and he was still very productive. His leading receiver was the running back, Jameer Gibbs. He had the most catches. It wasn't a wide receiver. It was Jameer Gibbs. And yet, you still saw Bryce Young, 32 touchdowns, 5 picks. He was still productive. His numbers went down compared to two years ago when he had real wide receivers like John Mechie and Jamison Williams. He had 15 fewer touchdown passes. Okay, not a mystery. Yet, Bryce Young was still productive with lesser talent. That's not the case with C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud had the best talent surrounding him. So in terms of being pro-ready, when you're going to a team that's less talented and doesn't have as much surrounding you, C.J. Stroud is not pro-ready at all in that regard. Will Levis is much more pro-ready in terms of dealing with a supporting cast that is more of the ragtag variety. You know what I mean? Like, if you look at the Colts, they, they don't have, compare it to other teams, look at the Bengals. They don't have anywhere close to Jameer, uh, to, to Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. Nothing remotely close. You know, who's more suited to go to the Colts? Is it C.J. Stroud, the talent he had? At Ohio State, or is it Will Levis, the talent he didn't have at Kentucky? It's Will Levis. So this whole pro-ready 
thing that I keep hearing about. Stop looking at just the quarterbacks and look at the supporting casts because that matters a ton. I've seen a couple of people say the pro-ready statement, but use it for Will Levis for the same reason that you outlined in terms of he has the skill set to be able to succeed regardless of the talent that's around him. And I don't disagree with that, but this is not a thank you for your service, Will. One year as the Colts quarterback. I appreciate you. Great job. Canton's been notified. We'll talk to you here in about 12 years. Good luck to you. It is a full season's worth, a full development cycle for a team's worth of upside and growth that I need to see. And just because Levis might look, and I don't know if he will, I'm not going to go that far because I still think that Stroud's the better quarterback, but if I'm entertaining it for a second, that because Levis was around doo-doo, that he's going to be better than Stroud because he's used to being around that. Okay, great. Maybe that happens for one season, but what happens, again, if it's true that he doesn't process properly and you get the weapons there and all of a sudden it's like, well, you know what? Had we had Stroud, maybe it's a first year struggle bus, but now we have Marvin Harrison Jr. with him in 2024 and oh, he is the prospect that everybody said he was going to be. Well, here's the thing. I have to say something. I have to push back on old Will the Thrill Levis over here. Just to, you know, look. He needs talent around him as well. Sure. CJ Stroud needs talent. Will Levis needs talent. Everybody does. Most, everybody short of Mahomes needs talent, right? Mahomes can still, he's one of the only quarterbacks putting up huge numbers without great talent around him. There aren't many Mahomes just walking around, but for anybody to say Will Levis, yeah, if he doesn't have the supporting cast, he's still talented enough to put up numbers. Like, he didn't do that at Kentucky. How's he going to do that in the NFL? So I, I don't agree with that at all. He needs talent. But I would also argue C.J. Stroud needs a lot of talent also. It's going to take time. Yep. That's why you got to be patient. It's got to take a little bit of time to upgrade the talent around you if you're a top five team in the draft. All right, we've got Eric Edholm. He's from NFL.com. Does a tremendous job. We'll compare notes with him right around the corner. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Eric Edholm from NFL.com. He's been writing feverishly about the NFL draft. All right, it's only a week away here. Eric, are you starting to uh, drool with it only being a, m- a week away here? Oh, man, drool. I'm, I'm starting to realize how much stuff I have to do between now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm a little – no, I'm in good shape, I think. But, uh, yeah, we've got a conference call with Daniel Jeremiah in a little bit here and getting ready for that. Going to check that out and uh, working on my final mock. Got a piece on Jameer Gibbs coming out and uh, then heading to Kansas City. Looking forward to it. How uh, How – how uh, how crazy do you get competitively 
with your mock draft and trying to nail these picks? So, yeah, you, I don't think that I got super into it until I had a taste of success. Like, I had one really good year a few years back, and I went, all right, now it's on. Like, we got to spend <laughs> extra time. The kids can put themselves to bed. They can work on dinner themselves. They're old enough now, right? You know, eight years old. I mean, geez, come on. But, yeah, I, it's hard to to not get that way when you do this full-time, right? I mean, this is sort of my gig, you know. Draft is a big emphasis on what I do. And, you know, I did pretty well last year, but I can tell you that that success may not carry over. This year's going to be a lot more uh, unpredictable, and not just at the top. I've, I've heard some very interesting names that could slide into the bottom around one, and mm. there'll be some trade activity. I mean, I you know, it's just not going to be last year with no quarterbacks going in the top 15, 20 picks. I mean, it was a lot easier, I thought. Eric, I have a caveat to this question. For your mock as you're making it, do you simulate trades in yours, or do you do strictly just picks? First time I've done that. Yeah, they, you know, they're kind of big fans of that at, at NFL media, and I've seen other guys do it, and I've always been a little hesitant to do it, and my editors at Yahoo were a little – or one of them was a little ambivalent about it. And, you know, he felt like, you know, you should only project these things if you heard specific rumors about those trades, which I get, I understand, but you can also do a little bit of projecting on those. So I think my final mock, I'm not as worried about my, my score for the huddle report or anything. I think I will pro- project a few trades because I think a couple of them are going to be inevitable. I don't know exactly who's moving up, but I, you know, I could see a, a quarterback related trade in the top 10 and, you know, depending on what happens with the top receivers and maybe if Bijan Robinson slides a little bit, I could see some activity at the bottom around one. So there'll be there'll be some movement. I, I think, you know, it's not gonna be one of these one of these years where fifteen, twenty picks go off before we have a trade, which has happened in the last decade. These freaking Texans over here, Eric at home, what are they gonna do? Because if you're putting your mock together yeah. That's got to be the spot where you're like, if I get this pick wrong, I might get the right. next seven picks wrong or whatever, however it plays out there. What do you think the Texans are going to do? Not too different from last year, right? I mean, I, I, I had Stingley about a week before the draft, so I, I felt a lot better than some other people did who were hesitating putting him there. So, yeah, it feels like we're you know kind of going through a similar thing again where – you know, in this case, we don't necessarily, I don't at least know who they like, but I'm inclined to believe that there's some, there's a real possibility that the quarterback is not the picket too. I know that, I, I know Nick Casario said that there's, there have been calls, but I, I feel like they're going to get, they're going to be stuck making a selection at two. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I could be wrong, but I think it's a lot more appealing for teams to move up to three. The price just jumps so much with each selection, the, the higher you go. And, you know, you can't go much higher than that. So I don't think one's getting traded. So I feel like it's either going to be a quarterback, but more likely it could be a defensive player at this point. Um, you know, you've heard the names, Will Anderson and Tyree Wilson. I I could make a case for both. I, I wouldn't be shocked if Wilson's in play at two. And that would that would certainly surprise some people as far as, okay, what do we do now if we're picking right behind there? And so it, it will have an effect on the draft if they go against quarterback there and then they have to figure out, all right, how we how are we adding to this position if we're if we're doing that? Are we going all the way back up to three then with our from twelve? Or do we wait? Do we not love any of these guys once Bryce Young is picked first? I mean that that is a possibility that we have to consider. 
Eric at home with us, NFL.com. Eric, with that being said, when you look at the Colts as you're finalizing your mock right now, the, yeah. the talk has been, you mentioned it in your, in your 1.0, ad nauseum has been the word for the Colts and a quarterback. Where do you envision this shaping out for them? I think they end up with Will Levis, if I had to guess. I don't know that for a fact. Woo-hoo! Yeah, that's the greatest news today, man. That's who I want. Oh, okay. I, you, I, thought, I thought you were being sarcastic. No, there. no, 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 no. He no, should have no, been. No. He should have been, but he was no, not, unfortunately. No, I'm serious here. <laughs> I mean, I've spent the last three months on Twitter, not as much as I used to be, but, I, uh, you know, seeing people just going off on the guy like he is the worst quarterback prospect to ever be, you know, mentioned as a first-round prospect. I just i am shocked at how much hatred there seems to be for him. Now, maybe that's cooled a little bit as his – you know, as we hear, more teams are interested in him than, than probably some people thought. So, I mean, does he have warts? Sure. You know, last year didn't go well. But but I think you look back and you realize that there were some things that kind of worked against him last season. The talent around him, the play-calling situation, the injuries he suffered. And you kind of realize that I think there's more than what we saw. And the 2021 tape was a lot more, in my opinion, revealing I think the toughness factor is something that Chris Bauer is really going to value. You know, my first mock, I think, was, I don't remember, January or something like that. I put Levis in there, and I I don't remember exactly what I wrote, but it was basically I could see him loving Levis' toughness, his confidence, and his arm strength. And, you know, you can't discount the fact that he's he's a big, well-built athlete, too, and you know, sort of Sam Ellinger with a, with more passing prowess, I would say, in terms of body size and whatnot. So I, I just have a feeling that they're not going to move up from four. They're going to let the draft come to them. And if the no quarterback thing happens at two, that may benefit them quite well. Eric Edholm joining us here from NFL.com. I call these people sheep. Eric, where it's just turned into follow the leader and let's just dump on Will Levis. Why do you think that is? Because is this the perfect storm where you have a couple of big-name quarterbacks from big-name schools? Alabama, Ohio State, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud. Does it make Will Levis look even lesser than in comparison? Is that what's going on here? Look, let's let's be frank here. The mayo and the coffee thing got him off to a bad start. <laughs> That's right. It sent him down a path that was never going to end well, right? Even if it was in humor, right? Yeah, uh, half kidding. Um, I've never tried that, by the way. I don't know that I will. I love both independently. Uh, I think you're right. I think there is a body of work element to it where – you know, Penn State fans are chiming in going, holy Christmas, this guy is a top five pick. Are you kidding me? Like, he couldn't even win our job here. And, you know, they're certainly biased. But but maybe they're not wrong. I don't know. But I, I think it's the fact that he seemed to trend in the wrong direction this season. Then again, I guess you could say the same thing about Bryce Young, right? <laughs> I mean, coming off a 47 touchdown, 7 INT season Heisman Trophy, you know, the production wasn't nearly as good last year, but that's why context is so important with these things, and, and, and I really feel like Levis's running ability was sapped last year. His offensive line wasn't great. His receivers didn't really help him out. They missed Chris Rodriguez for a few games there. I mean, it just it, it, it wasn't an environment in which you'd expect somebody to thrive very readily. So that's a big part of it. You know, obviously there was some Anthony Richardson buzz too. People seem to 
get more excited about him than Levis. So a lot of factors go into it. Eric, we've heard where you think the Colts will go, but in terms of the quarterbacks we've just mentioned, Stroud, Richardson, Levis, Young, who do you think has the best chance to make it at the next level? And individually, where do you feel there's the most value of the four? I mean, if I just had to evaluate the prospect, like as far as what their on-field play look like, Bryce Young is my number one quarterback. But the 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 size thing is an issue for me. It is. I hate to say it, but like we we play 17 games in the regular season now, and it's a thinly built kid. Now, I'm not saying he can't make it. I think he'll play a high level when he's out there. I really do. But you know, you, you take continual punishment on a small frame over time, bad things tend to happen. Now, there are wide receivers who have been able to have 15-year careers at, at 180 pounds. So you'd think, okay, a quarterback should be able to hold up too. But I just wonder, you know, if that's going to be a factor. So he and CJ, I mean, they're different players, but they, they, they have some overlapping skill in terms of their passing instinct, their touch, their placement. Neither of them has a rocket arm. Uh, and I don't think you need one to win in this league. Is it tougher to make those tight window throws? Sure, sometimes. But th- they're fine without elite physical traits. CJ obviously being a little bigger, maybe a little more well-rounded athlete overall, maybe a little bit more you know, escapability uh, talent there. So CJ just would be a little bit of a safer bet, in my opinion. And then you have the two wild cards. And I think Levis can make it. I really do. I'm <laughs> Look, I'm, I, don't, I don't know exactly what he's going to turn into in the NFL, but, you know, his, his natural talent, I mean, he comes from a family of athletes all in different sports. I think his confidence and his intelligence, he's a mature kid, I think, for, for, you know, he's 24 years old, so he'll be ready to step in right away. He's sort of handled the, the spotlight well when it was on him at, at Kentucky, even with last year. So I feel like all four have a path to success. Richardson's running ability gives him a floor that you know you can't dismiss either and, and his arm talent is exciting so I mean all four aren't going to succeed we know that historically just won't happen but I you know I, I feel pretty good about this group especially compared to last year how about Eric you look at CJ Stroud's betting odds to go number four yeah. overall and earlier this week it's at 22 to one as we speak right now it's only two to one so what do you think of the chances that C.J. Stroud is the number four overall pick here? If, if he's there, then I could absolutely see it, right? I could see all the, you know, they, they want an accurate guy. I think, you know, Shane Steichen's obviously somebody who could, you know, work with C.J. Stroud's athleticism and feature it a little bit more. I mean, in, at Ohio State, he was a, a drop-back pocket passer for the most part, only using that scramble ability when needed against Georgia, when the pressure was, was mounting or against Northwestern, when it's, you know, a, a, a wind tunnel over in Evanston there, and they really can't throw the football in that kind of weather. So, you know, they used it out of, I guess, last ditch desperation in college, but I obviously think that Shane's system could help bring out, bring that out a little bit more naturally. He could be like a Joe Burrow type as far as, you know, when it's third and six, Joe can pick you up a first down. He's good at it. He knows when to kind of take off. He's a tough kid. I can see CJ sort of being the same thing. So from that standpoint, he makes a lot of sense. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't discount it. I don't know that he'll be there. I could see three being a trade-up spot, and I could, you know, they're a team like the Raiders. I wouldn't be shocked if they moved up for, for Stroud. But I also wouldn't, you know, it, it possibly could come down to the Colts having their pick 
of Stroud, Levis, and Richardson. There's a mm. scenario where that could happen. So, boy, that would be fascinating. That, then we'd we'd have a real fun dissection after the draft as far as, okay, well, they clearly like this guy the best of those three, and and we'll have to measure their success against whoever they draft for, for the next several years now, and that's going to be the debate. Eric, last thing on my end, you mentioned in a piece on NFL.com end of last month regarding the needs for each team, and you looked at the Colts, you cited the obvious one at quarterback, but you also mentioned cornerback and offensive line is your biggest need. You do mention at the end, though, they do need another receiver. When you look at cornerback, when you look at their O-line, when you look at their need at wide receiver, where do you rank those in terms of level of importance for the Colts to attack it in the later rounds? Yeah, good question. I mean, in the later rounds, at that point, you're probably drafting a little bit less for need uh, than you might be in rounds two or three or that range, you know? So it's more about letting the board kind of speak to you and who's the best talent available. And, you know, we'll we'll worry about needs and undrafted for agency. And there's still, you know, we can still go out and get veteran players if we need. That's, that's, I think how most teams would, would go about it. But if I just sort of had to rank them, I mean, corners are hard to find in, in, in most years, but this is a great year to draft one. Now, does that mean you can wait a little bit? Perhaps. But it also means that there will be some very enticing options when we get into day two and some some starting caliber corners that normally don't last that long. I know every year, every, every draft, there are two or three who linger who end up starting and playing well, but that number might be double that this year. It could be four or five. So, you know, that's going to be a fun test. Like if somebody like Emmanuel Forbes from Mississippi State were there with their second-round pick, that would be a, a very tempting choice. I think he could go late one, but, you know, or one of the South Carolina corners. I would say Darius Rush would be one that they would like a lot, you know, just knowing his size and character. I think that's a position they'll attack fairly early. Eric, you're the man. Great to catch up with you, bud. Uh, hope you have a great day, and we'll catch you later. All right. Enjoy it. See you. See you guys. There he is, uh, Eric Edholm, NFL.com. What a smart man. What a smart man that Eric Edholm is. You kidding me? Has concerns about the thinly built Bryce Young, smart, really thinks Levis can make it. He really does. I love that. That was great. I thought it was hilarious. He thought I was sarcastic when I was cheering the Colts getting Levis at four. That was beautiful. I, I wish I wish that's what it was, but I, I, I know you too well at this point. I know yeah. that was genuine enthusiasm. Genuine enthusiasm, <laughs> and that's the funny thing. There are going to be a lot of people late, late-arriving crowd, we should say, of the party here, the Levis Fiesta. But a couple of years down the road, if he is the number four overall pick, goes to the Colts, a lot of people are going to moan and groan initially, and then they're just going to be like, hey, I knew this guy was going to pan out when you gave him a weapon that someone's heard of before you know all right coming up next jimmy we got to do this how greatly the possibilities differ i'm brian no he's jimmy cook it's 93.5 and 107.5 the fan raise a spoon to grandma who always took all the hungry cousins to mcdonald's for mcnuggets and the play play slide have something sweet in her honor Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. 
Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Have you gotten in, in on a uh, Seven Nation Army chant at a sporting event there, Jimmy? Oh, yes, just, of course. Absolutely. Let loose. Yes. You? Yeah. I don't know that I have. I'm not sure. I think that's uh, one I still have to check off the list right there. Got to do it. Got to pick the right environment, though, for certain. I mean, it needs to be some type of high stakes. It's tough if you're uh, playing Seven Nation Army because that's a common song you hear around arenas, right? Oh, but if yeah. you're, you know, in like, I don't know, Houston last year and that's coming on when you're down like 20, I don't think it has the same <laughs> ring to it, you know, if you're in Kansas City or Buffalo when you're up seven late in the fourth. You know what I mean? I think it really depends on if you go to an, an opposing team's game and how much they use it. Because I want to say this is years ago. I went to a, a Notre Dame-Michigan game with my dad on the road. At the big house. Nice. At the big house. And they were all in on the Seven Nation <laughs> Army chant, Jimmy. All in. And so, yeah, there's something about it when you hear it that much – Maybe subconsciously you're like, eh, eh. I don't know if Notre Dame has done that. They probably have. It seems like everybody's done it. It's a great question. I, I don't have the answer to that either. I know we, we both have people we could ask and find out pretty quickly, but I don't know. That's a, it's a great question. I've heard it done. Um, I mean, I've, I've been to Chief games. I've seen it done. I've, I've been to, to Pacers games. I've seen it done. Like, I, I know places where it happens, but I do not know about Notre Dame. What about the, um, I shouldn't be asking you out loud on the air, but I'm curious. I have a curious mind. I can't help it. I'm just thinking of traditions, right? Like for Notre Dame, of course, the play like a champion sign. We all know about that. And then on a kickoff. So everybody like, they they put their, put one arm in the air in a circular motion. Yep. And just go, oh, Irish. Irish. Yeah. yeah, that's right. How about Purdue and Indiana? What are the what are the football traditions there that are comparable? I mean, I n- nothing in terms of like the true comp. I mean, for Purdue, you got obviously the the, the big drum. drum yeah. Um, for you also have and I, I've only been to like two games up at West Lafayette, so I believe they have the the train horn go off when they score or when uh-huh. like like a big plays like that happens. Right. Um, and Indiana, like I mean, they again, it's it's still. <laughs> this is not like a hidden secret, by the way. Like I love Tom Al. We had him on yesterday, but he was not the head coach while I was there. And so my ratio of football games to basketball games is what I'm 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 not particularly proud of. Uh the biggest thing that I can remember that sticks in my mind is anytime and this is not unique, but just what they did, anytime we had a third down, you'd hear the PA guy go, It's third down, and then they play the Jaws theme song, but don't uh, obviously got the rock. I mean, I you know when they come out on the field. I, but yeah, in terms of like big, you know, I, I I don't have all the answers there for football. Regrettably, hey man, we got to start with Jaws and third down. Yep, you know, just yeah. got to build on that. Yep, you got to go somewhere. I'm sure there's some I'm missing. I'm sure there are diehard IU football fans that are very unhappy with me right now. They're pounding the um, desk. They're pounding the table. I, I don't. Yeah, uncertain. Yeah, well, you know, you might not be missing. Uh, some information there, Jimmy, might just not exist at this present time. I think this, too, if uh, we're heavy on the draft, we're a week away. But something that Eric Edholm mentioned 
Outside of making brilliant points like Will Levis, he thinks will pan out, and he's got concerns about the thinly built Bryce Young. Outside of outstanding points like that, he brought up the possibility that the Colts could be looking at a draft board where Stroud, Levis, and Richardson are all still available. I think it's unlikely, but it's possible, Jimmy. And I just think the possibilities differ so greatly where you could see that. Stroud, Levis, Richardson, all on the board at four overall. Or you could see you could see Bryce Young go one, maybe C.J. Stroud goes two. It's possible a team leapfrog, leapfrogs the Colts and goes QB three. And you got one guy on the board. So I just don't think either of those possibilities is outlandish. And of course, those are much different paths that the Colts could be facing when number four rolls around. The only issue I have with those paths, and, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday when Will Haskett was on the show, and I'm sure you caught it because it was a soundbite that went around. Um, Dan Orlovsky and uh, Adam Schefter made a bet regarding what's going to happen in the draft and that he could see only one quarterback going in the first three picks. And Orlovsky's like, oh, there's no way and whatever. My issue with that was that I always look at Adam Schefter as the information guy. The mm-hmm. knowledge guy, the uh, here's the nugget, here's the breaking news, here's your notification, enjoy it. In that situation, it felt more like he was being the opinion guy, the guy on the show mm-hmm. that was just expressing his thoughts on the matter based on information he may or may not have. But then we have a conversation yesterday with Aaron Wilson uh, down in Houston, and he says emphatically, Brian, with the most confidence I've heard anybody speak on the matter, uh, Bryce Young's their guy, he's going to Carolina they are not taking a quarterback at two. It's not happening. Like he point blank said, they are not taking a quarterback at two. He was a little more gray if they take a, you know, somebody like Will Anderson there, if they trade mm-hmm. back. But that opens the door all of a sudden that unless someone trades up with Houston, that you're a pick away from that scenario that Schefter mentioned on the air happening, which is three quarterbacks available for the Colts. And for me, if I am in the Stroud camp, which I am, I have him higher than Richardson or Levis. I'm making the phone call. I don't know what the price point would be, but I'm making the phone call to try to move up and get him. Mm. I don't know if you would do the same for Levis necessarily, and I would argue you might not have to because I think he's still going to be there at four, but I would have that conversation if Stroud's at the top of my board. I would be calling Arizona the second that Houston makes their move. Mm. Well, a lot to unpack there. We'll do it in the next hour where... You think about one possibility or, or one question is, as a Colts fan, what do you want the Texans to do? Mm-hmm. Not just because it impacts you, but because it also impacts them. Would you rather see them go with a specific quarterback or not? And then the scenario you threw out there, if the Texans go non-quarterback at two, do the Colts all of a sudden put on their negotiating hat and give the Cardinals a ring? Hopefully to not get C.J. Stroud. But but we have, to, <laughs> we have to unpack that as well around the corner. We'll have Damon Bruce, longtime Bay Area radio host, on next. This little thing in the NBA about uh, Draymond not being available tonight. NBA playoffs are on the fan. So we'll dip our big toe into those waters coming up. I'm Brian though He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. 
Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. I want to welcome in Damon Bruce, longtime Bay Area radio host. He's hosting The Damon Bruce Show on YouTube. Joins us here on The Fan. He's a IU grad. You know, Damon, we were just talking about football traditions for the IU Hoosiers, and Jimmy Cook, who is also an IU grad, was like, ah, they play the Jaws thing on third down. Is there anything else that you can remember from your college days about the IU football traditions there? No, just pain. Just just pain <laughs> at, at all times. Pain and embarrassment and agony and just there's there's just suffering. There's suffering. I really mean it. So I don't believe in sports like uh, you know, uh, uh, polygamy. I, I like if you, you pick a wife, you pick a school, you pick a team, mm-hmm. and you stay with that team for life. You know, I'm not I'm not some kind of guy that believes you should have. Well, my first favorite team is this. My second favorite team is that. It's just not how I'm wired. But no. with me living in San Francisco and USC now joining the Big Ten, boys, I think I'm jumping on that <laughs> USC band. I have suffered through way, way too many, way too many just unsatisfying football seasons with Indiana. I think i got to give up on them and, and, and give myself a, a fighting chance in a fall. I like it, man. I like what you're thinking there. Speaking of suffering, huh? we transition over to Draymond Green. Now, depending on your perspective, it's Draymond not being available for Game 3, that's Warriors suffering, or it's Sabonis suffering from the stomp. What did you think of the stomp? What did you think about the league's reaction to suspend him for Game 3? Look, priors matter, and reputations, you better guard yours because they will be considered when people are making choices about you. I mean, that's the lesson that's going on here, and Draymond has a reputation that basically has everyone in the NBA pretty much considering him a jerk unless you're a Golden State Warrior. That is who he is. That is the career he's carved out for himself. So whenever he's looking for a benefit of the doubt, it's never going to be extended to him. I did think that the moment was adjudicated in the moment. You know, he was thrown out of a game. That is normally enough in the postseason to mean that that moment can now pass. I did think the league is is overstepping a little here, but I also thought that Draymond overstepped. You know, he wasn't just looking to put a foot down. He put his foot down with intent to hurt. I mean, he's... Draymond giveth and taketh away, and he is a paradox and a riddle and an excellent IQ basketball player and a total emotion-filled child on another level for a 33-year-old guy 10 years in the league with four rings. He should grow up by now. I mean, he really should. For him, I think part of the reason why he was ejected wasn't even just the stomp itself on Sabonis, but his demeanor after the fact. He's taunting 19,000 Kings fans, calling them names, <laughs> challenging them to go fight outside. And you just, you got to behave better than that. You know, when all eyes are on you, you're being judged. And uh, his, I don't care what you think, caught up to him, and it could spell an awful lot of trouble tonight for the Warriors. 
When you turn back the clocks, Damon, I would have thought the repercussions of arguably costing Golden State a championship when he got suspended back in 2016 would have been the turning point moment for him. That's seven years ago. He's 26. Okay, maybe there's a reevaluation there. Now in a first-round series of the one-game suspension, I get it, much like a driver speeding, eventually the points catch up to you. But is there anything to be learned from this from him? I mean, you mentioned he's 33. (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, there, there there clearly is no learning going on here. There will be no new lessons taken to heart. There will be no demand that he grow up and act like, you know, I, I'm, look, I don't want choir boys. You know, look, I, we, we made fun of Indiana football. Let me tell you, Indiana basketball and its heyday was a whole bunch of kids just coming out there looking to kick your ass and not make friends. I like that mentality in a basketball player, but you got to learn from lessons and to be suspended for a second postseason game. I mean, I don't care how many rings you've won. That goes in the opening paragraph of the obituary. I've never heard of such a thing. Who's been thrown out of, who's been suspended for two postseason games. It's, it's nuts. So um, it's wildly disappointing. The constant excuses that this franchise has offered up to justify his actions um, are, I think, the blind spot of the organization. You know, they, they, I, I, there is so much to admire. There is so much that the Warriors have gotten right throughout the dynasty. But not being able to demand Draymond Green act like an NBA veteran and an adult is, is, a, is a massive shortcoming of the Steve Kerr era. He's Damon Bruce from the Bay Area joining us here on The Fan. I don't want to be prisoner of the moment here, Damon, but I'm just thinking about everything you laid out with Draymond. Let's say, for the sake of argument, the Warriors go on to lose tonight and they're down 3-0 and that would be it for the series. If that happens, do you think that when we're looking at Draymond's overall body of work, his legacy, do you think more people than not would view it more negatively than positively, even though the guy's got four rings and has been a major contributor to those rings. Here's the thing. I can see how that question would come from the outside because he seems so polarizing, even within the own fan base. But the truth is anyone who knows and anyone who watches realizes that even though Draymond might have played a massive part in them not winning the, the, you know, the NBA finals that he got suspended from when they were up three, one over the Cavs. And uh, look, I don't think they were about to, defend their title this year, but a first-round exit to the Kings would be wildly embarrassing for the dynasty to be snuffed out like that. I still think that the Warriors don't have a single championship without Draymond Green. I mean, that is how important he has been. The garbage guy, the glue guy, the guy who does all the little work, all the stuff that never shows up into a box score, all the things that you only understand are important in a basketball game if you really know the sport. He does them. He really has. He is wildly frustrating. He is incredibly uh, the emotional just catalyst of this team. I mean, he is their brass knuckles. Now, unfortunately, he sometimes turns the brass knuckles on himself, on his own reputation. I mean, my goodness, this year started with a punch of Jordan Poole and it could end with a stomp of Damanis Sabonis. So, you know, it's, it's, it's nuts that he has taken us along for this ride and continues to ride on this track of I can't be controlled. You know, I've always said real leadership is keeping your composure about you while everyone else loses theirs. So that, you know, he, he officially gets subtracted from the real leader conversation. That's Steph, that's Clay, that's Steve Kerr. 
but he's been such a vital piece. I don't think you can take anything he's done away from him. And I don't think you properly tell the story by trying to run away from the fact that he has been a, 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 a proven saboteur at least twice in the postseason. Damon Bruce with us of the Bay Area. You can watch and listen to the Damon Bruce show on YouTube at Damon Bruce Plus on YouTube. Find him there. Damon, going back to Brian's initial comment about what's at stake tonight. I mean, obviously, there's no really legacy aspect in my mind for any of the star players here for Steph, for Clay. But in terms of what's going to be asked of them, what's going to be asked of Jordan Poole, is there a path tonight to make this a 2-1 series? Yeah. I mean, and the path is it's a home game. And regardless of who is playing in the home game for the Warriors, the Warriors are a tough out at home. They look like the Golden State Warriors when they're at home, when they're on the road, they're the Orlando Magic. (laughs) (laughs) They got one of the weirdest home and road splits in the NBA. I mean, really, all their numbers at home suggest this is one of the best teams in basketball. All the teams... Uh, all the splits on the road suggest this is a team that should be drafting in the lottery. I mean, that, that's how dr- dramatic this has been. That's how inconsistent they've been. They need their incredible crowd behind them tonight, and they just need Steph and Clay to make it rain. You know, it's, it's a make-or-miss league for everyone, but tonight for the Warriors specifically, it's about as much of a make-or-miss scenario as they're going to find. And look, the Kings have been very good on the road this year. The Kings, they are, they, what's, what no one expected in this series – we're seeing play out in this series. No one expected the best coach in this series to be Mike Brown. And I'm not saying he's undressing Steve Kerr, but he knows Steve's entire wardrobe inside and out because he helped him pick it out over the last few years. They're all over the Warriors' actions and sets. Whether it was a good defensive stop or not, they're still all over everything the Warriors are doing. The Warriors aren't surprising them. So coaching advantage, it's Kings. Best player on the court advantage. Well, it's got to be Steph Curry. It hasn't been. It's been De'Aaron Fox. He's been the best player in this series so far. And then the best player off the bench, you figure, well, that's going to be Jordan Poole. Um, no, it hasn't been. It's been Malik Monk. So the, the, the Kings are just checking all the boxes right now of everything they need to do. And, yeah, if they win tonight, the Warriors – are in serious might get swept mode. I saw that four times in NBA history, a defending champion has found itself down 0-2 in the first round. None of those champions have ever survived and advanced to the second round, and three of the four have been swept. So the Warriors really, really need tonight to just save a little face in a series that I think is slipping off that they could win at Page. You know, Damon, we're knee-deep into the NFL draft here in Indianapolis. How about over there in the Bay? What's the buzz with the Niners, and is there still draft buzz for the Raiders now that they've moved? So there's always going to be a section of Raiders fans out here, and with them going, you know, the the fact that Raiders fans had nothing but Jimmy Garoppolo sucks and you'll never win with him. You know, know, that's been kind of fun. Uh, but uh, the the, uh, the thing with the 49ers is they don't have a, a pick until round three right now. Unless they trade someone, everyone's eyes are on Trey Lance watch right now. Mm. Brock Purdy was a hell of a story. His elbow surgery will either have him, what, ready to go at the beginning of the year or sometime in September, they hope. But, uh, you know, they just brought in Sam Darnold. I don't know if you're bringing in Sam Darnold, if you've got a lot of plans to continue to further invest in Trey Lance. So that is the story that everyone's keeping an eye on right now. Will Trey Lance be a draft day trade for the 49ers? And would that allow them to jump into the second, late first round if they were to find the right value for him? 
Damon, could you bring us up to speed on the latest regarding what the future holds for the Oakland Athletics? Yeah, the future holds nothing but pain and misery as long as John Fisher, who is the equivalent of the worst owner in sports. Like if Daniel Snyder was playing grab ass around the office with all those women that he was harassing. So maybe he wears the crown, but this is the crown prince. John Fisher is sports Satan. He truly is. He only owns a team for the real estate deal that he might be able to secure around that team. He has no pride in ownership. He has not been a caretaker of the game, the league, any of his players, he is awful. The world would be a better place without John Fisher, and he's so much of a screw-up. Watch him not get this deal done in Las Vegas either. Like, until there is a shovel somewhere in the ground, I don't believe a word of anything the Oakland A's do or say. And I'm telling you right now, even with all the -the in-the-moment outrage, there's a very good chance that opening day 2030 will be at the Coliseum in front of 6,000 people. I just love the moniker Sports Satan. That is tremendous right there. You know, I've got a question. Yeah, I I just want to go back to what you said, Damon, about Trey Lance, because think about how this ties to Indianapolis. They need a quarterback. If you are looking from the Colts' point of view between some of these prospects that could be on the board in C.J. Stroud or Will Levis or Anthony Richardson compared to trading for Trey Lance, how would you break that down? So now the beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and the question is, how much potential are you falling in love with? Because either, either a player you draft from college or Trey Lance himself, the only thing you're betting on is potential because we have no real track record. The 49ers still have no idea what Trey Lance really is. This guy has played so little football over the last five years due to the fact that he got hurt, was buried on the depth chart, wasn't given the hands. You know, as soon as he was given the reins to the kingdom, his ankle broke. So that didn't happen. We saw him for a handful of games in a year where he was going to maybe be Kyle Shanahan's secret weapon. He never really turned into weapon X. And um, I, I, we, no one has any idea what Trey Lance is. And a kid coming out of college might have seen more snaps on a football field than Trey Lance has even seen on an NFL practice field. So I, I, I can't answer that question. I'm not trying to dodge it, but I got, I got no, uh, nothing proves you can play in the NFL until you play in the NFL. The little bit that we have seen Trey Lance play in the NFL, I was not convinced, oh, there's no doubt this guy's about to be a really special player in this league. There's nothing that made me think he's about to be a catastrophic failure either. So either way, you have a total unknown entity taking over the position of quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts, whether it's a draft pick or Trey Lance. With how talented that offense is in San Francisco, Damon, Damon Bruce, nice enough to take some time with us here on the fan. It was Brock Purdy proof that, because of how talented it is, almost any quarterback that is capable of reading defenses and, and placing the ball in the right spots can function in that offense? Get the ball out fast and make it accurate. That's all this offense requires with all those playmakers. I mean, the argument could be made that's really all any offense requires. You know, <laughs> Get the ball out fast and throw it where it's supposed to go. I mean, this is not a <laughs> wild concept that is exclusive to the 49ers, but The whole thing that was odd about Trey Lance is he never was the type of quarterback that I thought Kyle Shanahan would want. You know, you Mm -hmm. talk about a dynamic to, you know, the ability to run with the ball, a Jalen Hurts type. I mean, that, that, that seems 
you know, like the, 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 the future of football, but more than anything else, Kyle wants that ball out when the third, you know, when the third foot goes down on a three-step drop to a slant route. His entire offense basically happens and operates in a 15-yard box. It's three yards behind the line of scrimmage and about 12 yards beyond the line of scrimmage. And that's where the entire dance takes place. So I never thought that Trey Lance was really stylistically the type of quarterback that Kyle wanted. Jimmy, to an extent, was. Uh, Brock Purdy instantly appeared to be just that. Um, uh, so I, I, I really, the, the pick of Lance always sort of, it made me think that Kyle got got enamored with something and new ideas more than he stuck to what he really believes in. And then as soon as the regular season start, what Kyle believes in is the only bit of offense you see. He wants to run the ball as much as any coach in the Big Ten. I mean, he, this guy believes in dominant ground game, throw when you need to. It's who he is. He is conservative by his nature. He believes in old-fashioned football. He believes in winning with defense. And dynamic offense is something that is available to him because of the dynamic playmakers, but it's not the plays that he send in. He doesn't call big shot plays. He doesn't look to flip field with bomb passes. It's just not who Shanahan is. So conservative pocket passer is what I always thought he wanted. And then Trey Lance said, well, maybe he wants something else. And then football starts. And then he really didn't want what Trey Lance represented. Good stuff, Damon. Hey man, thanks for the time. And, Fight on? Does that sound right to you? <laughs> Hoosiers and fight on. That's All right, man. See you. There he is, Damon Bruce, hosting the uh, Damon Bruce Show on YouTube. Longtime Bay Area radio host, does a great job, and uh, switching allegiances to USC. I mean, I can't blame him on that one. You know, there are exceptions to every rule, don't you think, Jimmy? I agree with him. Where it's like. Be diehard. Don't switch teams. Except if, you know, like IU football is one of your squads, then maybe you maybe you go somewhere else. Collegiately, it's tough for me because, like, I I grew up, and people have this a lot, I think, in terms of if there's, like, a lot of different great schools in your state, and there's there's a number of them across ours. I have family members that have had their degrees from a number of different spots, and so in my upbringing, like, there was a lot of different – push for me like I loved Butler basketball my dad went there we had season tickets that was kind of you know my ride or die is growing up as a kid my great-grandfather was a lifer at Notre Dame like I grew up a Catholic I'm a Notre Dame football fan and so then I go to Indiana and like yes like I had brothers and sisters that graduated from IU like I always loved IU basketball so that wasn't a big leap IU football was the harder one for me for a number of different reasons one <laughs> when I was there where a lot of people were there a lot of pain a lot of suffering not great football. Plus, and Brian, I think you could agree with me on this, when your first taste of college football is Notre Dame Stadium, oh, when you've seen Perry, it it's it's tough. It is tough to uh to match that. It really is. He's Absolutely. got the reversible jersey. I wear it proudly. Like I do. Co- collegiately, yes, I have the reversible jacket. A lot of people throw that at me. It's fine. It is. I I I, I wear that badge with pride. You know, um, going back to, I find the Trey Lance discussion really interesting. So the 49ers quarterback, Trey Lance, the Niners moved up from number 12 to number three to get the guy. He's barely played at all. 
He got hurt last year. Brock Purdy comes in. He threw to a couple of wide open receivers and people loved him. You know, like he's going to be a difference maker going forward. Whatever. But Trey Lance is a guy where some teams are calling for him. A couple of takeaways. One, it's amazing how quickly the shine can fade. Think about that. Trey Lance just two years ago was like, oh, you move up for a guy like Trey Lance who's got the tools and he's got some mobility. You can't move up to number three overall to get a guy like Mac Jones, right? And think about what Damon just said where, hey, get the ball out quickly. Get it to where it's supposed to go. Could you imagine Mac Jones upgrading from the law firm of Jacoby and Myers and Nelson Aguilar to George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, throw in Christian McCaffrey for seasoning in the backfield. He would look so much better, but that didn't happen. So we go back to Trey Lance. Think about this, Jimmy. Which quarterback would draw a more negative reaction from Colts fans? Would it be drafting Will Levis or would it be trading for Trey Lance? Now that is a great question, it's a right? Great there. question. A tip of the cap to you. Not wearing one today, but all the same. Tip of the cap. Um, I think that there would be more frustration in the long run. The initial reaction, I think, is still drafting Will Levis. But in the long run, <laughs> I think there'd be more frustration with trading for Trey Lance. And the reason I say that is, even though he's young, like still very, very young, twenty-two years old, still lack of film, lack of availability for him in terms of his health. Like you haven't seen exactly what he's going to be at this level. And I do agree with what Damon said from what you've seen. It's not guaranteed guy, like absolute lock. He's going to make it very small sample size though. But the reason I think you get the larger backlash is because he could easily be construed as another retread band-aid not our option and by the way this one has injury issues like (laughs) you've gone from okay this is a used car with like 30,000 miles but it's still got some get up on it to hey this is a Ferrari but the engine has holes in it what why why would I want that so yeah I think that Lance would be the longer longer frustration play Will Levis I think still draws ire from the Colts fans in terms of the immediate time I'm just letting that sink in for a second. Think about this. Just draft night, okay? Let's say instead of the Colts drafting Will Levis fourth overall, they make a move and they trade for Trey Lance, okay? In your opinion, just immediacy, right? The night of. You think there'd be a a more negative reaction to Will Levis being the draft pick than trading for what you could consider a, a retread or at least a guy that, I mean, like, look, it's not the same as them trading for or, or getting Philip Rivers or Matt Ryan at the end of their careers. Like, this is year three for Trey Lance, right? So it's not the same thing, but it's a guy who's not a Daisy Fresh rookie, right. not a prospect. Like, the shine hasn't come off based on his time in the NFL yet, right? Uh, like, that's how we're looking at Levis. Um, at least we don't have that where he's you know thrown incompletions and interceptions and it's like eh, eh, you know we don't have that with him we have that with Trey Lance and yet Will Levis the reaction would be more negative for him on draft night compared to trading for Trey Lance I think I'm going off what you said earlier I think there's real animosity within the fan base right or wrong towards Will Levis 
I'm not saying there wouldn't still be pushback about Trey Lance. I would be confused. That'd be more what I was if they traded for Trey Lance than angry. I would be very confused that that is what ends up happening on draft. I know this is hypothetical. You're not saying that's happening, but that would be my immediate reaction as a Colts fan is we did what? Uh-huh. What happened? We, uh, right. I've, been, I've been studying box and looking at these four quarterbacks oh. the whole time. And Trey Lance is coming into town. Yeah. I, so I don't know. I don't know if the immediate reaction is anger. I think it's confusion and just like, what, what are we doing here? Versus with Levis, I think whether it's right or wrong, there's been enough baked in. Look, I'm not banging the drum for him. You are, but not like without factual data behind it. Like I get what you're saying on him. I disagree with it, but I get what you're saying <laughs> on him. But I'm not, I'm not his... I'm not his champ. Like, I'm not saying, yes, go get Will Levis. I think, though, you're right. Within the fan base, there is a very much anybody but Levis thought process. And I think that's going to cause a lot of angry Colts fans, not hyperbole of, oh, they're going to go riot. No, I just think on Twitter, there's going to be engagement. What are you guys doing? Yeah, I I think it would be more negative. I'd look at it differently. I think it'd be more negative if they traded for Trey Lance. Because like you just said, that comes from left field even more. And I think that would fuel an even more negative response. But it's amazing. I don't think it'd be by leaps and bounds. What are they giving up in this hypothetical? Well, that's the that other thing. That changes my thought, too. Absolutely it does. Is what is What is the price tag for a dude that hasn't performed over the last two years in the NFL? Because the Niners don't want to just give him away, obviously. They traded a boatload to get that yeah. guy. So it's not going to be, you know bargain discount slashing prices like that type of thing but it can't be top dollar either because he's not he's unproven in the NFL and like you said he's banged up a lot this wouldn't get it done but and maybe this changes the conversation and maybe my answer is okay they'd be more bad about Trey Lance if it's anything more than four and maybe like a fifth rounder I'd be I'd I'd not be not be happy also I'd like to pose this question uh Brock Purdy had Tommy John surgery like why would they trade their insurance as a backup? Yeah, they signed Sam Darnold, but because their insurance is all state, they're not a sponsor, are they? Like I don't, no, I don't know. But, but like if you if you've invested in this guy in a fir- early first round pick, like, and you know you're the guy that quote that is the starter is not going to be out there for week one or week two or week three or who knows well, when he might be. He might because that's the thing. He didn't have Tommy John. He did the synthetic thing where it's a much quicker uh, recovery time. So. As of now, they're hoping that he's out there for week one. But that's just the technicality part of it. I hear what you're saying, though. You're not paying Brock Purdy hardly anything. So it's like Brock Purdy just got hurt. He had his elbow essentially disintegrate in the NFC title game. So I hear you, Eddie. It's Is it really worth when you are, you know, it's Super Bowl or bust for the 49ers. Is it really worth it to trade Trey Lance for whatever you would get compared to having him if nothing else, as an insurance policy. I don't think it makes sense for the Niners to move them. I agree with that. And on top of it, I talk about a number of times, did it with Damon Bruce as well, that this San Francisco offense is one of the best in the NFL. Anybody with competence can survive and thrive in that offense. I think Brock Purdy is living proof of that. But they're also getting older by the year. They're not going to always be one of the best offenses in the NFL. And I'm not saying the window's like closing, closing, but it's not <laughs> it's not where it was three years ago when they four years ago when they were in the Super Bowl against Kansas City. So you almost can't afford to trade away Lance if he is to Eddie's point, albeit maybe not a viable insurance policy because right. he's got to stay healthy, but you almost can't afford to it. 
given where they are in their championship window. Yeah. Yeah, unless some team just offers you something where you're like, are you serious? Like, yeah. we basically have to if do If the Colts this. did that, I would be mad. I'd be more mad about Lance than Levis. Because, because and, here, and, and, and that's why. Because you can take multiple swings at quarterback. Like, if the Colts are wrong on Levis, I don't know if it's Bauer that's going to be making those swings in three, four, five years, whatever the evaluation window is. But, like, you can adjust from that. If you set yourself back with, like, a treasure trove of first-round picks or even... Even like multiple second rounders accompanied with a first round pick to go get him, that is more dangerous to me for the long term health of the franchise than taking Will Levis at four. Okay, we got a lot to do over here. Coming up next, straightforward. What do you want this team, not named the Colts, to do? I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Simple question, Jimmy. What do you want the Houston Texans to do? What do you want them to do? You could... Okay, you get to make the Texans pick. Yes, and within reason, you know, I'm not... I, no kicker? Okay, all right, I got you it. can't take a kicker <laughs> or a seventh-round prospect, second overall, right? Like, someone within reason. But what do you think would benefit the Colts the most? Now, think about this for a second. You could go with a specific quarterback, or, or you could go non-quarterback in hopes that it would help out the Colts have more quarterbacks on the board when they're drafting. So there are a couple of roads you could take. Which road are you taking? So for me, in order to best help the Colts, and I'm so proud of myself for this, and save Uh-oh. them from themselves, oh, no. I want the You're Houston Texans to no, take Will the Thrill no, Levis with the no, second overall no, pick. That sets our franchise back <laughs> a decade right there. They get a phenom. The Colts don't. Why would you do that? I thought you rooted for the Colts here. <laughs> okay, I, you know why I did that. In all seriousness, I would want them to take a defensive player, whether that is Will Anderson Jr., whether that is Jalen Carter, whether that is Tyree Wilson. I want them to go defensive player. I don't want somebody to trade up to get a quarterback. I want as many options present for the Colts when they pick it four. And I would like there to be a dialogue with Arizona to potentially trade up if there are three quarterbacks there. So I hope they go defensive mindset there for that pick because I want more options available for the Colts than doomsday scenario for me, not for you, that Will Levis is all that's left for them when they pick it for. What about you? What do you want to see them do? I just love how different we are on this whole thing. It's very funny. Um, I want them to draft C.J. Stroud. That's what I want the Houston Texans to do. And I've been clear at the beginning of the show, and I'll give you the Cliff's Notes version here. He's not going to be surrounded by half of the talent initially with the Houston Texans that he was surrounded by at Ohio State. Like, really let that sink in for a second. 
he won't be surrounded by half the talent in the NFL compared to what he was surrounded by in college. You know, going up against teams like Maryland, IU, you know what I'm saying? Like, he had an embarrassment of riches going up against mostly lesser teams. It's funny, too, when we look at C.J. Stroud, he was sensational against Georgia. I take nothing away from That was a great, great performance. But you know what's funny, Jimmy, is we've forgotten all about the game prior to Michigan at Ohio State where he didn't play well at all and they lose that game at home. It was the game before the college football playoff semifinal game. And it is a distant memory. So for him to go from all the talent he's had at Ohio State to the lack of talent he would have with the Houston Texans, at least initially, I like that scenario right there. Now, they can upgrade it real fast. Good example would be Tua Tungavailoa. When he was drafted by the Dolphins, they didn't have Tyreek Hill. They didn't have Jalen Waddell. So you can surround a quarterback that was pretty my quickly. That was my follow-up, right, is how you they can. do that. Yes. Yeah, you can surround a guy with talent quickly. And the Houston Texans have a ton of picks after that Deshaun Watson trade. So maybe they do upgrade the talent. Hey, maybe C.J. Stroud does pan out in the NFL. But I think he's a guy, he has to have the talent. I look at him as gots to have the talent around him because that's what he's had in college. Why would you think all of a sudden the NFL, he could be you know, cursed with half the talent and still put up really good production? I don't see that at all. Well, I don't either, but again, I see that point you're making from the lens of and you've said this before, any quarterback that's going to be taken, unless there's a massive trade-up, is going to be to a team that lacks weapons, that lacks versatility. A, a lot of them have struggles at wide receiver, some self-inflicted when you look at you know the Panthers trading away DJ Moore. But you need to have, once you have the quarterback position figured out, time to be able to bring those weapons in. There's going to be growing pains, whether it's Will Levis or C.J. Stroud in that scenario, you're not expecting lights out right out of the gate. Now, if that happens, man, you're thrilled. You're over the moon because it's, oh, look how this kid is matching up with the receivers that we have. And just think when we upgrade that room further here in a year or two, how good they're going to be. That's mm-hmm. the larger thing that I'm looking at for either of these prospects. And it's it's not fair for either one of them, regardless of which one the Colts take. Who knows how many games they're going to start year one, A, but B, How do you judge them based on year one to year two to year three? I want to see growth. I want to see continued development as you get accustomed to life in the NFL. You know, I think that um, C.J. Stroud is comparable to Justin Fields, the Bears quarterback, from this standpoint, okay? If you look at Justin Fields, it's way different when you go from Ohio State and what he was surrounded by. Remember the six touchdown passes against Clemson in the semifinal game? He was sensational against Clemson. And uh, then they lost to Alabama in the title game. But against Clemson, it was that, whoa, it was like C.J. Stroud. Same level, right? Semi-final college football playoff game. C.J. Stroud went crazy against Georgia. Justin Fields went crazy against Clemson. So Justin Fields gets to the NFL, and it is a bare freaking cupboard around right, it in right. terms of like it doesn't have a good supporting cast he's throwing a dude named Equinemius St. Brown shout out Notre Dame but yep. not an upper echelon wide receiver you're throwing to Darnell Mooney who's okay he's all right he's like a decent number two but when you're throwing to Equinemius and Mooney 
It's not a mystery why his passing numbers stink. They're awful. right? You've got to have better talent around him. I look at C.J. Stroud as a way less athletic Justin Fields. where He's got to have the talent in terms of who he's throwing to because that's all he's had at Ohio State. you got to have good weapons in the NFL for me to even think he's going to pan out. So I look at him as being a less athletic Justin Fields. If you have... What the Bears have had the first couple of years, it is going to be a horror show for C.J. Stroud. I mean, well, it's a good thing the Colts don't have that. Then, I mean, I, yeah, I, I think that the wide receiver room, albeit, like I said, I've criticized it before. I do like prior to the D.J. Moore trade, the Colts wide receiver room as a whole more than I do what Chicago is operating with. But that being said, here's my issue with this whole conversation for Stroud or for Levis, regardless of our sides on this matter, you and I can both agree that without an upgrade in the areas of the wide receiver position, both of them are going to struggle, right? That's a fair baseline we both agree with, correct? Yeah. So I look at Will Levis, and you look at him, and you see somebody that, well, if you put weapons around him, or even a slight upgrade to what he had at Kentucky He's a franchise quarterback. And I look at Will Levis and I say, well, there's a guy that, again, the rap on him is he doesn't trust his instincts enough. He doesn't read defenses the right way, but he has a strong arm. Maybe there's hope for him in this league. And I look at that and I say, that's great. But then I look at C.J. Stroud and I look at his ability to break down defenses. How much of it was the receivers around him and how much of it is quarterback IQ? Mm -hmm. Like that, that, that is the question scouts have been asking themselves since the season ended, since the season started really in the college football campaign when the scouting departments are in full swing. How much of it is IQ and how much of it is, well, he only did this because the weapons around him. Well, it's going to be a blend, but I think, I think more of it is the weapons around him. I think that if you put C.J. Stroud at Kentucky – like he's he's not putting up close because to the you because you think the IQ is overblown because because if I think the IQ is great and it's what makes him great I would say he puts up not close to what he put up oh. at Ohio State I wouldn't be fair but I think he puts up strong numbers strong enough to the point that he is still in consideration as a top player off the board. Well, that's different. I mean, Will Levis didn't put up great numbers and he's still a he top still prospect. Is too. Correct. Correct. So that's the thing is C.J. Stroud, yeah, he could still be a top prospect if he was at Kentucky the past two seasons. But his, number, his numbers Do you think are he'd be viewed as high? Ohio State. Do you think he'd be viewed as high if he was at Kentucky? I, I think he could be. I think he could still be a top prospect because he's got the tools, right? But I think it's a much different evaluation. It's a much different viewpoint. I think C.J. Stroud is viewed a lot more similar to C- to Will Levis right now than the way C.J. Stroud is being the Ohio State quarterback. I absolutely believe that. And that's the other thing, too, is when we're comparing weapons, this is the thing. I'm not telling you the Colts have no one. I mean, Michael Pittman Jr., Alec Pierce, that's better than what the Bears have. Right. But if you're comparing what the Colts currently have to what C.J. Stroud has had? No, I'm not, but you're right. <laughs> it's you not can. even close. No. You've got Garrett Wilson, Offensive Rookie of the Year with the Jets last season, Chris Olave, very good Saints rookie receiver last year, over 1,000 yards receiving, Jackson Smith and Jigba going to be a first-rounder, Marvin Harrison Jr. going to be a top pick, first-rounder, uh, Emeka Ibuka. Like, you don't have even close to that with the Colts right now. Not even close. You can't. 
you can only take that to a certain point, though, right? In your evaluation with him, like there comes a fine line, not like your you, but like the general population. At some point, you have to draw the line and look at, okay, and that's what I keep rehashing. How much of it is just the talent and how much of it is, yeah, this guy has great vision. He trusts his instincts. He's able to move around the pocket, maybe not have the legs and the mobility that Justin Fields had. You're exactly right. Fields is a, is a generational quarterback in that regard. That's not Stroud's game. But where do you draw that line? And for me, when I try to put them on a level playing field, I believe in not just the intangibles, but I believe in the ability to operate and read when the pressure is coming up against you more so with Stroud than I do Levis. Again, I'm not saying that Levis can't be great. And I'm going to give him a fair shake when he's drafted. You're not going to hear me. I'll be disappointed. You're not going to hear me all offseason and all training camp like, ah, oh, this is the, he deserves a fair shot if that's the way they go. But if I was building this team, that's not the path I would take. I would go get CJ Stroud. I would address wide receiver immediately in the second round. I would operate again as you do with the needs at cornerback. You're probably taking a flyer somewhere on the offensive line the way the rest of the board falls to you in rounds three through six. And then again, they're going to be back in the, I mean, it's not a lottery, but you know what I mean? They're going to be back at the top of the draft next year in all likelihood. Go get another weapon for him. If it's Marvin Harrison Jr., Colts fans are celebrating running laps around the circle. Th- that's just the path I would build around if I'm Indianapolis. You know, think about this too. Going back to the original question here, Jimmy, who do you want the Texans to draft? Now, think about this too, where it's not just 2023. If you say, hey, I... I want the Texans to take uh, Will An- uh, Will Anderson Jr., right? So maybe the Colts could get C.J. Stroud if that's what you want, right? Uh, uh, well, if they don't go with the quarterback this year, they very well yeah. might be in range to get either Caleb Williams from USC, fight on, or <laughs> Drake May from North Carolina. And those guys are better prospects than any of these dudes yeah. right here. Like, especially C.J. Stroud, Will Levis. They're better prospects. So think about that. If you're asked the question as a Colts fan, who do you want the Texans to take? If your answer is a non-quarterback, you have to be aware that they could take a better quarterback prospect next year. And you could be facing that guy for the next decade. That's a great point. But I'll be honest, I think I speak for a lot of Colts fans in that regard. It's been so stressful trying to evaluate and figure out just what the Colts are going to do <laughs> that trying to sim out another like worrisome <laughs> draft class next year. Not worrisome like the prospects, but like having to worry for another year about what a team in my own division is going to do. Like That's a fair point, but I would be much more concerned with okay, this is our quarterback because we know the Colts are going to take one in all likelihood. This is who we're building around. Let's move on versus after Thursday's first round is completed, building a bomb shelter because you have all of a sudden a new quarterback in the wings in Houston a year's time from now. See, I love this even more. Let's get freaking crazy over here. (laughs) It's difficult enough just to talk about the draft as is, you know? Here, here's where the Colts are picking. Here's who might be on the board. What makes the most sense? That type of thing. Right. The next layer to that is, if the Colts had some sort of power, some witchcraft, some magical football, they had a hotline to the football gods, <laughs> and they could call like it's Domino's Pizza or something and say, hey, here's who we want the Texans to take. Within reason, it's got to be a top prospect. Who would the Colts choose for them? You know what I mean? Like, I think that is fascinating. Yeah. My answer would be C.J. Stroud. But again, just like a normal mock draft, opinions are going to differ greatly. 
Would your answer also be, though, worth where you have these quarterbacks individually ranked? And I'm not joking this time. I'm being serious. Uh-huh. Any quarterback prospect but Will Levis, you're fine with them taking? Like, obviously, it's out of their control, right? Because they don't they have number two. And if Bryce Young's off the board, Bryce Young's off the board. But let's say the Panthers end up taking Stroud. Is that the same answer for you? You want them to taste Bryce Young for the negatives that you've outlined with him, his size, his stature, and being able to survive in the league? Well, I, you know, now I, I can't get my mind away from I can't either. it seems inevitable yeah. that yeah. Bryce Young's going to the Panthers. Yeah. You know, so it's, I can't even get my mind. Do you ever think of a name and you're like, it's not that name. I'm trying to think of what <laughs> name it is, but I yeah. can't get that initial name out of my head. Of course. That's how I feel about Bryce Young with the Panthers. It seems like it's just, you know, it's a weak until he's officially named Panthers quarterback. Do you, you have know? Richardson over him? Over C.J. Stroud? Yes. I mean, listen, I think that Anthony Richardson is intriguing just because of the wet, because of the tools. Yeah. He just he doesn't have the reps. It's going to take a while. And I don't know if he's ever going to grow into that or come close to reaching his ceiling. He's had 13 starts and under 400 passes in college, yeah. Jimmy. Like, that's... That's not a lot at all. So both dudes scare me. I'll be honest with you. I think that Anthony Richardson's lack of reps, that scares me. And C.J. Stroud's embarrassment of riches. Think about that. For C.J. Stroud, the let's say he goes to the Texans number two. They would need four more first-round picks to draft the wide receivers that he had at Ohio State. Sure, sure. That's insane. But that's what he was surrounded by. It's crazy. And it, again, is that fair to expect the Texans to ever do that? I've made you pretty clear about how I feel about the Texans. No, <laughs> right, regardless right. Re- regardless of Nick Casario being their general manager now and it not being the Bill O'Brien run operation, I still have it in my head. You mentioned the name thing. I'll always associate the Texans with poor front office decision making, even though it looks like they're turning a corner. So no, if you ask me to bet they're going to be able to supply him with an Ohio State recruiting class worth of talent. No, I don't think they can do that. Do I think that a franchise could come close with the right draft selections year over year? Like for me, it is you're going to get best available wide receiver the next, I mean, maybe not at 12 because no one has a wide receiver necessarily that high, but you're looking at the treasure trove of draft picks they have. You're addressing wide receiver aggressively this year, and then you're going and you're doing everything you can to hit it out of the park next year, assuming you're in the lottery again, because that's a more likely scenario to me. I keep calling the lottery because I'm used to the NBA. Assuming you're in the top four or top five of the NFL draft picks being made, that's the more likely scenario to me. Like I could easily see the Colts doesn't matter who the quarterback is falling into like six or seven wins next year and being pick 12 or pick like 10 versus a team like Houston. I could see them going three and I got to do the math here 14. real quick. Three, three and 14 real quick. Uh, maybe and, three, and, 13 and one right, again. Yeah, if they're playing yeah. the Colts. <laughs> That's a good point. But you know what I mean? Like maybe Marvin Harrison Jr. is more likely to end up in Houston in a year. And now they're providing their quarterback, which whoever it is, with a top tier talent. Both these franchises are in such a similar boat that it's going to be fascinating a week from now to see how much closer or further away they are from one another when the dust settles after round one. Okay, we still have much more to go as we inch closer a week away from the NFL draft. But coming up next, you never get a second chance to leave a final impression. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 
raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You know, I had plans to talk about, uh, you know, basketball here, but how, how can I talk hoops? Oh, when I called it. The man in black. <laughs> This is gracing our eardrums right now. Good pull by Eddie Garrison well done. right well there. Done. Have you seen Walk the Line, by the way, Jimmy? I saw it when it came out, but I, I have not seen it since. Would that have been 05, 06, maybe? Is that right? I'm not sure. Something like that. Sounds I enjoyed it. Right. Yeah, I mean, I it, it was one of those, again, where I have not like revisited or like seen it and gone like to FX or something to rewatch it or AMC. But yeah, I watched it. It was good. Uh, Brian Noah and Jimmy Cook with you here. 93.51075 the fan. Have you uh have you gone to the Johnny Cash Museum? Have not. In Nashville. Mm-mm. You might want to check that out. I'm not a huge museum goer, but I've gone a couple of times. Pretty cool. The one thing I'll tell you, the two displays I like a lot. One is and you saw it on the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 57 the pregame is um oh gosh, it's I forget the exact name, like that old tattered flag. I, I don't know the exact way to say it, uh, but they have a display for that. It's really, really cool. And uh, also, it's for the song Hurt. So uh, Johnny Cash redid the song Hurt. It was, uh, uh, I, I don't know if it was Trent Reznor or Nine Inch Nails, if it was like a solo thing or if it was the band. But anyway, Trent Reznor wrote the song. And in this huge display, Trent Reznor was dead set against Johnny Cash covering it. He's like, it's a really personal song. It's very emotional. I don't want it to be covered. And then he heard Johnny Cash's version. And he was like, wow. <laughs> he did a <laughs> hell of a job. It's really cool, that displays. It's worth checking out the museum for that alone, I think. I'll have to check it out. I got some friends in Nashville. Next time I'm there, I, I will definitely hit it up. Apparently, they also, since we're giving them some some love here, uh, you could also, while visiting the Johnny Cash Museum, join them for authentic barbecue, southern food, great <laughs> drinks, and Nashville's best music at the Johnny Cash Bar and Barbecue. There you go. How about wow, that? Wow, nice. It's called Ragged Old Flag. Mm. They have a, a, a little thing in the museum there, and they did a whole thing before your Chiefs won Super Bowl 57 as it was ripped away from the Eagles on a garbage defensive <laughs> holding call. <laughs> hey, I'll end on a positive here. Reader's Choice USA Today Best Music Museum, Johnny Cash Museum, 2023 really? Reader's Choice. How about that? Okay, yep. very nice. There you go. Very nice. All right, coming up next, you never get a second chance to make a final impression and... The Smurf weighs in. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. When you hear great balls of fire, what do you think of immediately? That's probably, I should have said, goodness gracious, you know. <laughs> but 
What, what do you think of immediately, Jimmy Cook? I'm just curious here. Just, um, if our minds work the same way or not. It's not going to work the same way. I have a bad answer. I don't know. I, I think about getting up and dancing. I don't know, Brian. That's where my mind goes. Where does your go? I think a Top Gun. I yeah, think a Goose yeah, and Maverick. Yeah, that's my fault. That's my bad. It's 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 a Thursday. I, I apologize. That should have been my first answer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No. I mean, that's it's on me. I'm going to own that and take that L. All right, that's all. We should have been in the same wavelength. Totally fine. No problem. I was hoping we were because we're on the opposite wavelength on uh, quarterbacks over here. But I was trying to keep it consistent in that regard. You know, I didn't want us to get too cozy. I wanted to make sure we were yeah. still still on our separate sides of the aisle here. Nothing wrong with that. Now, uh, here's the thing. I have uh, I've made it clear that I'm uh, worried about Bryce Young's smallish stature, right? Uh, I've said a time or two that uh, he... Kind of reminds me of a Smurf. <laughs> he's, just, he's just short. He's not that thick. Like, So it's a question. So Bryce Young, he was on first take. He was on with Stephen A. Smith. And so Stephen A. Smith asks him the obvious question about his lack of size. And listen to Bryce Young's answer here. Check it out. The biggest question, rather, that they have about you is your size and whether or not you're going to be able to take the punishment. To that, you say what? Um, you know, I think it's valid. Um, you know, I, I get it. I think everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Uh, but for me, I'm capable of, you know, I'm, I'm capable of, of what I'm capable of. I know who I am. And, you know, I've been playing with a lot of people that have been bigger with, than me my, my entire life. Um, you know, I'm, I've always been the, the smaller one on the field. And, you know, I know that's not going to uh, change to the next level. And it's something I'm super used to. In the next level, it's about how quickly you can process, how, how well you can make the right decision, how, how well you can get the ball in your hands and, and get into playmaker's hands. So uh, that's something that I, I pride myself in. I'm ready for that challenge at the next level, um, you know, so that, you know, hopefully it's I'm, – I'm not looking to, to, to run a bunch of people over at the next level or anything like that, uh, but be more be more efficient with the ball. And, you know, again, I'm, I'm used to playing around people that are much bigger, so uh, it's not going to be anything new for me. Okay. You know, I think of uh, Family Feud – where they go, good answer, good answer, good answer. <laughs> it's a very good answer where he's not – he's just so easy to like yes. as a dude. Yep. You know what I mean? Where he's got all these questions about his lack of size in the NFL and is he going to hold up and can he take the the beating? and all, Is he tough enough, right? Like he's hearing all this stuff and he was like, yeah, it's valid. I mean, I see where those people are coming from. They're entitled to their opinion. I just love that. I really love his mindset of, that's cool. You know, they think that. Watch me. I've been doing yeah. this for a long time now. So I, I like the uh, the chill confidence. You know what I mean? Like, we always put so much stock into having a chip on your shoulder and proving everybody wrong. And yep. sometimes that can be used for good. Sometimes not letting the noise and the criticism affect you whatsoever is a huge positive. And he absolutely has that going for him. Yeah, I mean, it can be very easy at this point. We joke about it, how frustrated we and the fan base, not just the Colts, but across the NFL are getting in terms of frustration with seven days to go and still no answers. For Bryce Young, I mean, clearly the clarity might be a little bit more there if you follow the betting markets, but it'd be very easy to go on a show or have press availability and trash the people that are making those comments about you. But no, I mean, kind of takes the high road there. Like, yeah, I respect what they're saying, but I've been going against this my whole life. I, I get what the deal is. It's not going to be any different for me once I get to the next level. And to your point about the likability, Brian, like that's why I want to see him 
succeed. Like I'm not. I know you can't just draft a guy solely based on the fact that you want him to succeed. But at this point, he's not coming to Indianapolis, so I don't have to worry about the decision for drafting him. Now I can be like, okay, let's see what he becomes out in Carolina. He'll be the smallest quarterback mm-hmm. in the NFL the second that he shakes Roger Goodell's hand, likely with the number one overall pick next week, and he'll have at least in terms of an admirer in his corner for what he's going to do. I want him to do well. I want him to make good. I want him to succeed and prove people wrong for a number of different reasons. It also opens the door for think of how many because I look I but I'm six one so I never had to deal with like you know, mean five six or five eleven or anything like that. Like you know I eventually you are what you are in terms of your height. But there's been countless examples I'm sure across the board high school level collegiate level you're too small you can't play this position it's a position meant for big guys and I'm not saying that it's suddenly going to be oh we have now have a five six quarterback under center here for the Indianapolis Colts I'm not saying that's where we're trending but I think that does a lot for kids that have been told no you can't do it if he's able to succeed and make good as a small quarterback I really do I hear you I hear you it's a little bit like it's sentimental I get it but yeah no it's fine it's why Steph Curry is so popular You know, it's a big reason why he's an outstanding shooter, but he's closer to the everyman in terms of his lack of size. He's not Shaq. You know what I mean? He's not like Giannis. He's not a guy where we're like, holy, I'm not even close to seven feet tall or however much Shaq weighed even in his playing days. I'm closer to Steph Curry and to see what he does. People identify with that. So, yeah, if Bryce Young goes to the NFL and he can stay upright, and he is a baller, he will be one of the biggest things going because of what you just explained right there. Yet you pull for an underdog, and I know he won a Heisman at Alabama. I'm not telling you he came from UTEP and was a two-star recruit or something, (laughs) right? But in terms of not being the prototypical 6'5", 230-pound quarterback, he is a bit of an underdog story in the NFL. He would be incredibly popular because he is so likable and he has that lack of size. So when you identify with that as a fan, it makes that player even more popular. All those nice things said, though, you still wouldn't take nope. him if you had the opportunity, correct? Nope. Okay, so make sure. All right. Nope. <laughs> we well, that's that nice the thing moment. is I, I can't help but, and this might be a little bit unfair, but I can't help but think of Tua Tungavailoa. And Tua, the Dolphins quarterback, was talking about maybe retiring. I saw that yesterday. Check this out. Here's some audio of Tua talking about this, maybe walking away from the NFL. Yeah, I I think I I considered it um, for for a time, um, having sat down with my family, um, having sat down with my wife and having those kind of kind of conversations. It would be hard for me to to walk away from from this game with, with how old I am, with my son. I always dreamed of playing as long as I could to where my son knew exactly what, you know, he was watching his his dad do. It's my health, it's my body, it, you know. I feel like this is what's best for me and 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 my family. So, I mean, I, I love the game of football. You know, if I didn't, I would have quit a long time. Here's the deal, Jimmy, is I'm going to take you to the gambling world here for a second. Love going there. <laughs> what gambling allows you to do it allows you to experience life as a fan of a team you don't root for. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like, so I let's say you're not a Dolphins fan, okay? But you bet on the Dolphins to have over nine and a half wins last year. 
Okay? Let's say that's their line. I'm going to take the over. They get to double-digit wins. Even if you're not a Dolphins fan, you experience life as a Dolphins fan for the 2022 season. Like That's right. the way it works. Right. So, <laughs> and they're winning games early. Two is playing at an MVP level. And then the injuries start happening. And then he's concussed, and he misses a couple of games. And then he's concussed again at the end of the season. He misses the playoff game. Tua was 8-5, and five, right? The Dolphins were 8-5 and five in games he started. They were 1-3 when other quarterbacks started. 1-4 if you include the playoff loss. Right. Right? So think about that. For the 2022 season, you're like, I need one more win. And Tua is missing five games. Okay? And you're sitting there. They ended up with nine wins. A skosh, you needed one more to clinch the over there. That is life as a Dolphins fan. Even if you aren't a Dolphins fan, you get to experience it from that point of view if you had that bet. And so the point is this. It is a tough existence <laughs> when when your quarterback, you, you can't count on the guy to be upright. And so I can't help but think of that with Bryce Young being a smaller quarterback because of what we just saw with Tua Tungavailoa. Hopefully Bryce Young is completely healthy, no head issues specifically, but I just have a hard time believing he's going to be that guy season in, season out. I don't see it. I hope I'm dead wrong. Much like Bryce Young said, I I agree with you. Those are all fair considerations, and and I'm not saying that his size isn't an issue. I'm not saying that if he gets lit up absolutely by like Aaron Donald or Chris Jones, that, you know, maybe it's not a separated shoulder or a broken collarbone or a concussion. We've talked about this as well. A lot of the Tua stuff, like at least for the most part at this level have been the head injuries, the concussions versus when he was in college, having the, the hip injury and having to come back from that. There's not as much scar tissue in terms of Bryce Young, in terms of a long red flag injury history there is just a projection out that his undersize may lead to more injuries what I'll say is this and it's not a guarantee that it will fully protect him but it is as you well know a league that is built to protect quarterbacks as much as possible he's going to test the limits of what that means and what that does in terms of the way quarterbacks are protected when he already has the size issues up against him it's a valid concern My hope, if I'm trying to block that out, if I'm drafting him, is he's going to be able to make the right decision in terms of not holding on the ball too long, not putting himself in position to take those big hits. And if he does, (laughs) I guess you're just crossing your fingers and hoping that he falls the right way, like two had to relearn how to fall or whatever he did this past offseason, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you said that because two things. (laughs) One, this was uh, Shannon Sharp. On Undisputed, talking about Tua learning how to fall. He's got a jujitsu coach. Here's what Shannon Sharp had to say. He's training with a martial art to learn how to fall. Yep. Man, you learn how to fall as a kid. <laughs> if you're you a grown-ass man and you don't know how to fall now, can't nobody teach you how to fall? No. You're supposed to learn how to fall when you were a child in a, in a, on the playground, in the sandbox. Yep. So now here you are, 25, 26 years old, and somebody got to teach you how to fall? Nah, nah, nah. Here's a man that's been playing football his whole damn life, and he don't know how to fall. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's, and here's the other thing, Jimmy, is that's why I thought it would have been crazy for the Colts to trade up from 4-1 to one for Bryce Young specifically. That's why I think it's insane for the Panthers to trade up from 9-1 to one because of this. 
you traded. It's even crazier for the Panthers because they had to trade more because they had further to go. Right. right. So you are taking away a couple of first round picks, a couple of second round picks that can be used to surround who we think is going to be Bryce Young with more talent. So you're taking away talent that could help Bryce Young process faster, get rid of the ball quicker. And so you're taking a smaller quarterback with a lack of weapons. You traded away DJ Moore to move up there and all these draft picks, and you're expecting what? Him to get the ball out to Adam Thielen, who's on his last leg quickly enough? You know what I mean? Like, You can upgrade the talent. It can be done. But it's a lot more challenging when you're giving away premium draft picks in multiple drafts. That's going to follow them around. They lose a first and a second rounder this year, a first rounder next year, and a second rounder in 2025. It's going to follow them around for the next three drafts. And you're you're taking Bryce Young, who's undersized? I mean, that that's just not a great combination right there. The best way to fix that, right, to be able to... I don't want to say right the wrong, but to get out in front of it in terms of what you're needing as a team. I haven't looked fully at the in-depth draft profile of what the Panthers require on the defensive side of the ball. They're obviously, you know, where they were last year for a reason. They, they are they are a mess of a franchise their right now. Their defense is pretty good. But their defense was, you know, I, again, I, I didn't watch a ton of Panthers last year, and I don't know where they're at in terms of if they need to address that. If they're good, like you said, if they have a good defense right now, then how you answer the war chest that you gave up to go get the number one pick from the Bears, Brian, is you utilize your second round pick, which I think is at 39 overall, and you take a wide receiver right away. And you spend most of the draft figuring out how do I find more weapons on offense for Bryce Young out of the gate with us, with the capital that we have to operate with because we traded up to get him. Because what you're thinking if you're Carolina, the injury concerns I get, I'm not saying they're not real, but your thought for Carolina is, we need a quarterback. Our evaluation is clearly because they wouldn't have traded up for him otherwise. Bryce Young is a top tier generational franchise quarterback talent. We're trading up to go get him. We'll figure the rest out on the fly because we have that important question answered already. It's a risk, but that's the risk that they've taken trying to do that. Yeah, it's a big risk, no doubt. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say this though, too, Jimmy, is I was thinking about when you were talking about. Uh, Bryce Young being a popular player, and he certainly is. He's so likable. I, I love the dude. Um, I just have questions about if if he's going to hold up in the NFL or not. And they're fair I think questions. Valid. Yeah, yeah. But I thought of another fan friendly quarterback, Tim Tebow. You know, and uh, that didn't work <laughs> out as well. But but here's the thing that I want to say, and I'm curious what you think about this. I hear this a lot, where the best ability is availability. You've heard that quite yes. a bit. Oh yeah. I push back. I say, no, it isn't. The best ability is ability. Okay, Tim Tebow, he was available. He just wasn't any good in the NFL. He didn't have the ability. Now, I understand you could have all the ability in the world. If you're unavailable, if you're hurt, it doesn't do you any good. I I get that. But you're not going to be injured your entire career. You know what I mean? Like... You have got to have the ability. It starts with that. And so that's where I find it to be fascinating how you view Bryce Young. A lot of people look at him and say, he's got the ability. He's got the processing speed. He's got all of that. But I also look at the availability as well, and that's a major piece of the puzzle. 
I wouldn't say it's the only piece, though. That goes way too far to say the best ability is availability. Are you kidding me? You know how many people (laughs) would be available in the NFL? They just don't have the ability to stay there. What do you think? I'm interested for your take on this. What do you think as a teenager where I sat in line with the Tim Tebow debate? Do you think I was a fan or do you think I was a hater? Oh, man. Well, listen, you're uh, you're a kind-hearted soul, Sir. Jimmy Cook. Sure. Um, I mean, I wouldn't fault you. Now, is this before he was drafted? This is, this is from the way from from in general like the second he was drafted to his NFL career like what I thought about him as a pro and what I wanted to see happen with him well I'm sure you wanted to see him play well yeah there's nothing wrong with that at all yeah very likable guy in terms of like were you doubting that he had the goods to get it done um you might have been blinded with hope a little bit but I don't think you would have lost all sense of reality so I'd say it's a blend is that is that halfway close? There's no? one key nugget I didn't give to you there. It, it's not close, and I appreciate you. You, you still have the Tim Tebow haircut. I hated Tim Tebow. <laughs> I could not stand oh, yeah. him. Tebowing wow. and this mania of this guy's going to make it in the NFL. Great college quarterback. Did not want, nor did I see it working out. Didn't help that he went wow. to Denver, right? Because I'm a Chiefs fan, so that didn't help to begin with. But all this overhype because he made one great throw in a playoff game against the Steelers, and all of a sudden, he's the second coming of John Elway. I could not stand Tim Tebow. I not as much this. now anymore, but I, but I, but I could Philly, not stand It's the Philly Jimmy Cook I've been yeah. waiting for could over not here. stand Tim T- Tebow. Ah, no, couldn't stand it. Wow. You had to love the SNL skit with Tim Tebow yes. and, and Jesus. <laughs> I, did. I did very much so. What was it? Jason Sudeikis was playing uh, Jesus in that skit. Yep. Hilarious. <laughs> Hilarious, no doubt. By the way, at the end of the show, Jimmy, we'll have an Anchorman uh, tie in with the sports world here. You an Anchorman fan? Oh, yeah. Always. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Um, I wanted to circle back to this as well. Brian, knowing Jimmy Cook with you here, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. <laughs> I thought it was interesting. We were talking to Damon Bruce, okay? Yep. Longtime Bay Area, Bay Area radio host, hosting the Damon Bruce show on YouTube. Does a great job. Very opinionated, entertaining. You can see why he's been so successful. I asked him a question about Draymond Green. And I loved his first sentence. He goes, I can see how that question would come from the outside. You know, so here's the, he's basically saying, yeah, you outsiders, you're not in the, in the know about Draymond Green over here. Now, now here's the question I asked was, I don't want to be prisoner of the moment here, but with Draymond Green stomping on DeBonis Sabonis, shout out former Pacer, right? He stomps on DeBonis Sabonis. And I'm like, if this goes sideways, let's just say the Warriors lose tonight. They go on to lose the series. Say they got swept. Like, really consider worst-case scenario, Jimmy. And that's at least on the table here, okay? Would more people view Draymond's overall career more negatively than positively? Now, here's the thing. This could be the final impression it could be where the yeah. Warriors, they don't win another championship. They don't have another triumphant, deep run in the playoffs. And this is one of the last things you remember. Is Draymond Green getting suspended for a game, it going sideways in the first round against the Kings, 
and the callback to 2016 where he got suspended against the Cavs, and that went south. And they had a 3-1 lead in that series. Like, I think it would be wrong, Jimmy, to view his career more negatively than positively, but if this is the final impression... Like an incorrect opinion hasn't slowed people down before. Right. I mean, good lord, people think Will the Thrill Levis isn't going to pan out in the NFL. Like people think Will Will Levis is going to pan out in the NFL. What are they thinking? Clearly, wrong opinions over here. But you know what I'm saying? If this is one of the last impressions or the last impression with Draymond Green, I do think there would be a lot of people that would look at him and be like, "Oh, yeah, Draymond," you know. Yeah, he he was around for those titles, but but like got kicked out in this year's series, got kicked out in 2016, cost them a ring. Like I think there would be a lot of people that view it more negatively than positively, even though I would disagree. I think that would be dead wrong, but people would look at it that way. Do you see it that way? I think so because of the way he's so polarizing around the league, and there's a lot of people that don't like Draymond. Like To be clear, I I like Draymond. I don't like Draymond as a player at times for the same reasons that Damon Bruce kind of cited. I feel like his toughness and just his aggressiveness and ability to get into people's heads at times has gotten to a point now at 33 where it's costing him. It's happened twice now, like we mentioned, two playoff games where he's suspended because of his own actions. But when you step away from that and to your point about not being prisoner of the moment, step away from it, look at the big picture. You think back to the death lineup and them being just a small ball team, having a guy like Draymond that could pretty much defend anywhere on the floor, set his teammates up for success, and be, I I hate this phrase at times, but yes, be the glue guy towards what the Warriors were. He will always be a part of that. I agree with Damon Bruce. I don't know if they are a franchise with four more championships to their name without Draymond Green. I really don't. And I also said this yesterday with Will Haskin. I want to get your thoughts on it. I said this after they won the second one, and I still feel it now. Hmm. Because it's the easiest one to get into, and also because I think he deserves it, Draymond Green is going to the Hall of Fame. Like that, oh, that, that's, absolutely. That, without question. Oh, you don't think yeah. about a defensive player of the year, constantly on defensive first and second team lists, four-time NBA champion. Like He's going in the Hall of Fame, but I think once you get away from prisoner of moment that's happened right now, mm-hmm. and you look in five or ten years, it'll be a blend, but I think the rings will win out. Well, and the listen, contributions will win out. Yeah. It, the last impression matters a lot. Sure. There were people saying that John Elway was the greatest quarterback of all time, when he was, <laughs> which was insane, when he was walking away. But he had won back-to-back championships. Yeah. Think if the order was reversed. Think if he won two championships early in his career, and then he lost three straight to close it. You know, not in three straight years, but that's what Elway did at the beginning of his career. He lost three Super Bowls, and then he won out. So if the order is reversed, it's a much, much different feeling. So that's the thing with Draymond also. Draymond, if he walked off after last season, that's a much different feeling and viewpoint than where it stands right now. Now, the Warriors are five-and-a-half-point favorites. They might win tonight. They might win the next two home games, and it's 2-2 going back to Sacramento. So they're not even dead and buried in this series just yet. But just the way it's trending, and if, it's all built on an if, if it goes incredibly sideways in this first-round series and Draymond stomping on Sabonis ends up being a big reason why, 
I mean, it's already a big reason why. You got the gate in game two when it's a close game down the stretch. Um, I, I absolutely think that some people will, will look at that. And let's be honest, Draymond Green hasn't been a fan favorite. He's nowhere near Steph Curry in the popularity department. Sure. Okay, so there have been a lot of people just You're talking waiting. nationally, to be clear. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, okay. not not okay. just not Bay Area, but okay. nationally. Okay. There are a lot of people that are just like, uh, here we go again with Dre. <laughs> so he does something stupid again, and it, it's like a lot of people that are not fond of Draymond, what do you think they're going to gravitate toward first? Is it four rings or him doing something stupid again that costs the team? Why this bugs me so much, and it's been said on a couple of the different NBA on T like inside the NBA or just on NBA TV or ESPN is that it's if it gets remembered that way, it's unfortunate not only for Draymond, but it's unfortunate for the Sacramento Kings because in pretty much every facet of this series, they're outplaying the Warriors. They're taking it to them. Yes, they were just at home. How do they react on the road? But they did their job. They held serve and they pretty much outplayed Golden State through eight quarters of basketball to this point. And if they do wind up getting swept, I don't think would Draymond have mattered to getting swept? Yes. Draymond's availability for me tonight, I'm not trying to give him a pass for not being out there. It won't end up mattering in the grand picture of this series because I think it's Sacramento's to lose. It has basically been Sacramento's to lose since he got tossed with seven and a half to play in the fourth quarter of game two. Well, look, man, it's uh, it's one of those things where Draymond He's the stakes aren't the same. You get what I'm saying? Like I look back to 2016, the stakes aren't even close to the oh, same no. in terms of Absolutely. why this should be remembered long term. That one, that should be oh. in the first paragraph oh. of his legacy. Yes. Without a doubt. This one, I mean, yes, it's there. It, it's in that synopsis of what happened in his career, but it's a it's a sentence on his Wikipedia page in terms of this is how the season ended in 2022-2023 versus cost your franchise a championship. You know? No doubt about that. No doubt. But it's in addition to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Good point. And that's, that's why it matters so much. And uh, yeah, that 2016. Think about this. For as great as the Warriors' legacy is and as great as uh, Draymond Green's contribution has been toward that, think how much greater it would be if they had a 73-win season that ended in a gentleman's sweep yeah. against LeBron. Like, that's very well mm-hmm. what it could have turned out to be. It could have been Warriors in five. Instead, Draymond Green's not available for game five. They lose it. They go on to lose that series. Think if they had five rings here, Jimmy. It's a legacy-altering moment. Yeah. It really is. It's going to be one that is remembered for the rest of time for not just how it impacted Draymond, the Warriors as a franchise, Steph and Clay, but how it impacted LeBron, LeBron James in the city of Cleveland. Like it'll, it'll forever be enacted in that same joint the hip comparison when you look back at everybody's career involved there. All right, coming up next, uh, Coach K audio that uh, has something to do with what we're talking about here. And also gambling. Huh? A little bit of a yes. different uh, uh, approach to it. I find this to be really interesting. We'll get to both of those stories. I'm Brian No. He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, 
and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, he's Jimmy Cook. Here on The Fan, we will get to a coalition aiming at limiting betting ads uh, in just a couple of minutes here, Jimmy. I want to get your take on that. <laughs> Pretty interesting. Some of the bullet points on that one, what they're looking to do here. But uh, just to put a little bow on this, I think this is really interesting. So we're talking about Draymond Green and the stomp. of. Should I name him former Pacer? Label him former Pacer, Demonis Sabonis. What do you think about that? That's that's fine. I mean, I I, I don't have an argument there. I love I love me some Demonis Sabonis. No problems there. Look, not to take this off the rails here, but uh, it was a trade that worked out for both sides. Okay, with the what uh, the Kings got and Sabonis, and what the Pacers got with Halliburton, it's worked out for both sides. But it's a trip, isn't it, to see Sabonis as a three seed? With a 2-0 series lead against the defending champion yeah. Warriors, like, isn't it right? Like, do you feel like that as a Pacers fan? Of like, man, kind of wish uh, we were enjoying this type of success right now. There's variations to this conversation that I've had over this week, and where I've landed on it is this: If you're a Pacers fan, I get it. It's natural to look over and and long mm-hmm. for that. Sabonis so helped a team that had gone through the struggles of being in the lottery and trying to build around and maybe happen to be the missing piece there. That's pretty evident with what he's done this season. You take him away, the Kings, I don't think, have the season that they've had. It was not ready-made here in Indiana. It had run its course. Sure. I don't see a scenario where if this is Pacers and... I don't want to say Bucks because that, Pacers Celtics, just for the sake of argument, and they're up 2-0 right now. There's not a alternate universe where you could say if Sabonis is still here, that's what's happening. It had run its course. Uh, yeah. You got to be at peace with it. Like you can long for it, but no, I don't feel that way because it was never a possible reality in my mind. No, I hear you. The way maybe my comparison would be like this. So again, the trade has worked out for both sides. Let's say, let's Let's build it like relationships, okay? So let's say that you're in a a healthy relationship right now. It's really good. You're happy. That's how I would view the Pacers in getting Tyrese Halliburton. They're happy with it. He's balling, right? Yeah. So you're happy with this relationship that you're in. But if you look across, you know, the landscape over here, the other relationship, it's good, it's strong, and man, they just visited the Eiffel Tower. Man, they just took a, a helicopter to uh, the Grand Canyon and all these majestic pictures. They're they're in the Mediterranean over here, like taking these exotic vacations. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. again, you're happy, but when you look at the other side here, they appear even happier. It, it's hard not to do the comparison thing. No, and, and you should, and, it, and it's perfectly healthy to do that. But, but where I don't want this conversation to shift, and what I've kind of stressed on these airways over the last week is that, or last three or four days, is that it can't get to a point where you're like, well, maybe we shouldn't have made that deal because right. no, there should yeah. be jealousy, and, and there is a little bit of it, sure, and envy. But I'm also happy for him, and on top of that, I know that. 
that wasn't on the path of a season from now. One season removed from the trade, the Pacers are going to be as high up as they were with Demonis Sabonis and without Tyrese Halliburton. There's no wish for me, oh, I wish they could undo that deal. But there is a little bit of jealousy. Yeah, for sure. Sure, right? A little bit. And that's one of the things is, like, listen, uh, Sabonis was very productive with the Pacers, very good with the Pacers. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he wasn't. But for it to pop somewhere else is like... It stings. Uh, yeah, yeah, it does. Right? Like, no. it, it's not as bad as, and this happens a lot too, the player is a dud for your team, goes <laughs> elsewhere, and is awesome. Yes. That's way worse. Yes. Yeah, no, that, there's, there's no debate there. I think it would shift for me if... And maybe I just bias because I, I I guess I like guards and I like small forwards more. I like, I like athletic players that can kind of do it all. If he was in that mold, like for instance, if he was, I don't know, Jimmy Butler and like they had moved on from him, Jimmy Butler, like on a similar age, not Jimmy Butler today, but they moved on from him that way. And then he just totally like came out of the air on this team. Then mm-hmm. I would feel a little bit worse, but because it wasn't as much a position of need for the Pacers, we'd seen it for years, Sabonis and Turner. This mesh does not work. It's time to pick one or the other. Mm-hmm. That feeling's not there. Had it been like a an influx of of guards or small forwards, and they they made the wrong decision in that regard, I'd probably feel worse and be more mad about it. Maybe have more regrets. But that's also just the style of basketball I like better. I guess is why my heart goes that way. Well, again, think about this too, Jimmy. Is where would the Kings be if they didn't make the move? Right. Like imagine if they still had Halliburton, who's good, but they didn't have Sabonis. They didn't have that frontline player doing what he does. So I don't think they would be where they're at right now. So the point is, it sounds it's a weird way to make the point where um, it's almost like longing for Sabonis back here. I'm just saying the Kings were spinning their tires because they had Fox and they had Halliburton. It's like they need to trade uh, Halliburton to get Sabonis and to change the dynamic of their team. So... I think it worked for both for both sides is really what I'm trying to get. Yeah, that, that, that's why I still stand at it. I understand that your yeah. argument, and nobody that's brought this point up has been, ah, man, maybe they shouldn't have made that trade. No, 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 it's no. more so that, are you a little jealous? Are, yeah, are you yeah. feeling a little yeah. longing to have some... Mo- yeah, look, <laughs> I said it the second the play-in tournament started. I would love to have playoff basketball here again, and yes, I would love for Sabonis to have been a part of that. But it just it wasn't happening. It wasn't a, a fruitful path that would have worked for either side. Yeah. So that's why I'm at peace with it and why I think Pacers fans... Because here's what I think, and this is the bold take, I guess. I think in if, if, the, if the building blocks go the way the Pacers want it to go, five years from now, because the Kings are celebrating currently, because they went through that tanking process and they found the right piece... Five years from now, where you really judge this trade, is Tyrese Halliburton the piece that is truly like, we messed up. Like, Sacramento wins this year doesn't matter, right? Like, if they win a championship over this tenure, okay, we got rid of Tyrese Halliburton, but we won a title in Sacramento. Yeah. Like, that's that's insurmountable. But if they don't, and the Pacers are thriving because of the move they made, mm-hmm. that's going to change this whole perception of jealousy. It's jealousy the moment right now for me. Well, that's a good point, because it's not... <laughs> Trades take a while mm-hmm. to fully understand how everything played out. It'd be like reading a book. If you're on chapter two, there's a long way to go. Right. You know, and so 
you might be reading this book and it seems to be headed in a certain direction and then you might be watching from dusk till dawn like with George <laughs> Clooney and all of a sudden it's a, like a zombie movie or right. something like what happened over here right so yeah it it's worked out for the kings and it looks like overwhelmingly advantaged kings based on where they are right now they're a 3 seed with a 2-0 lead against the defending champs but who knows what year 4 of this trade is going to look like you know it's a good point to it's not Game, set, match already. You know what I mean? Right. And both sides have benefited. Now, let me circle back. I wanted to get you some Coach K audio here. Because we were talking about Draymond Green and the stomp of Tabanis Sabonis, and he's suspended for Game 3. So this is something. Did you see the uh, 30 for 30, I hate Christian Leitner? I did. It's great. And there was a moment where Coach K, he was talking about Christian Leitner. And uh, the way he described him, it's very much like Draymond Green. Now, he's talking to Sidney Lowe, who was his coach with the Minnesota Timberwolves. So if you hear that name, that's what he's talking about. Here is Coach K talking about Christian Leitner. I can remember talking to Sidney Lowe, and he said, boy, that Leitner. Man, he's a little bit difficult. And I said, Sidney, you have to look at Christian like he's fire, and you're the, the soup of a big apartment building. If you use the fire correctly, he'll heat every apartment in that unit. If you don't, he could burn the building down. I said, I'd rather have a guy with that fire. Isn't that exactly <laughs> like Draymond Green, yeah. where he is like fire? And he has fueled and powered the Warriors in many, many good ways. And he's been destructive in many ways as well. Go back to 2016, cost him a title. Uh, go back to here and now, he's suspended for game three, got booted from game two, right? Like, yep. he is fire. The interesting thing, what Coach K is talking about with Christian Leitner is if you use him the right way. I don't think you can use Draymond Green the right way. It's really up to Dre. And sometimes you see the fire benefit the Warriors. Sometimes you see it hurt the Warriors. But I don't think there's any approach. He's kind of like a wild stallion over there. Like He's just going to do what he does. But there's no button to push where you only get good Dre and you don't get destructive Dre. He's a mixed bag. That's what he is. That's what he's been his whole career. And there's no way to... So I want to get through this analogy without just it, it sounding awful because Coach K is the one that brought fire into the apartment building, and I and I, I don't I you know I don't care for that too much. So in this case, it's abandoned apartment building uh, in my mind, just okay. to, for the for the safety of all. That's just the kind heart here, the safety of wow. all these fake people. We're not letting them go down because of Draymond's fire in this analogy, Brian. If you look at it, the building is currently burning down, mm-hmm. but and I don't know I don't know what the I don't know what the dismount is, but. Man, they have won the customer satisfaction award four straight times, and they're 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 in a beautiful side of town. Uh-huh. There's enough good that has outweighed it, but when you see how it might be ending, are you surprised the Flames didn't eventually win out in the end? Honestly, like if you're looking at it and you would have mapped out his career, you mentioned the right off into the sunset thing. That's not how this ends for Draymond. Right. It's not. I don't think so anyway. Unless you know he. Comes to a point where he's like, I've made enough money. I'm doing great with my podcast life. I'm, I've, I don't need to grind anymore. I'm hanging it up. And also, by the way, a likely spot, I would think, uh, assuming he's not too polarizing for it. I, I enjoyed him. I did. I enjoyed him during the limited action he's had when he's been on the 
inside the NBA version with Lefko and, and company. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed him on there. So there's probably a future in TV for him. So I'm not saying like it ends with him, you know, like <laughs> looking for work, but his NBA career likely ends with the end of the era and the Flames eventually overtaking Golden State. Yeah. Hey, man, I see it where it's been a mixed bag. There's been a lot of good. There's been some bad. But the the fire thing is like if we're talking about an apartment building, no one gets hurt. Okay, Thank no you. one gets Thank hurt. You. Appreciate I, that. I, Thank you. Respectively, you know. <laughs> but it, it would be like uh, Draymond's career. It'd be like being at this beautiful apartment building, and it's on a great, you know, it got great view. It's a, it got stores all around you. It's a, a really hip part of town. They throw great parties. It's a heck of yeah, a weekend yeah. party schedule. But John and Unit Twenty Three B burned the place down, and you were you know, like the, at the Motel Six for three months. And, like there's been some bad, but yeah. overwhelmingly it's been good. And I don't think that you can lose sight of that just I wouldn't because trade of the it. here and now. I wouldn't yeah. trade it at all. If I'm a Warriors fan, if I'm a Draymond fan, if I'm Draymond Green, when I look back on it, yeah. like, yeah, I'm sure you might have a little bit of regret for how 2016 ended, but I, I wouldn't trade any of it for what's ultimately resulted. I just, the only thing I wish we would get that was different with Draymond is just own it, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just own He is always the victim. He's all, well, if he doesn't grab my foot, then none of this happens. It's like, bro, you still don't have to stomp on the guy even <laughs> though that he grabbed your foot. He's always – he reminds me of Bart Simpson. Remember Bart Simpson, like, throwing his fists in like a – he's doing like a loop, right? Like with his arms. Yep. He's like, I'm just – Waving my arms in a loop, and if you happen to run into him, it's your fault. You know what I mean? Like, that's Draymond Green. It's never his fault. I just wish there was more accountability instead of putting on IG, hey, he's grabbing my foot, solid basketball play, nothing to see here. Like, he's never just owning his wrongdoing. It's always on someone else. That part I don't like. We talk about simulating things out and trying to figure out with all these trades or these moves, both NBA and NFL today. That's kind of been our, our theme at times is you got to let things play out. With Draymond, it's going to be fascinating to me how the second chapter is written. Because like, and, and I don't want to mischaracterize like Shaq was ever as insane at times as, as Draymond Green has been in terms of his actions on the floor. But you see his older players like that and somebody like Shaq that's in the public eye like he admits to his mistakes he admits to his wrongdoing and I'm not saying he didn't do that during his career right but more open so about it now that his playing days are behind him that's the more fascinating thing to me with Draymond Green post NBA whenever that happens is wherever his voice is being heard whether it's on TNT whether it's on a podcast whether it's for a network somewhere else is he still like that, or as he's further removed from it, is it? Yeah, you know, I was, I was a clown, but I got results. <laughs> I got results from it. Like, is that, is that where the path goes? I hear you. I wouldn't anticipate that. I probably wouldn't either. I probably wouldn't either. <laughs> but, but. but I hear you. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> All right, coming up next, we get to gambling, an interesting new uh, potential approach to it. And Anchorman, what does Anchorman have to do with something in the sports world? We'll let you know. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook. It's 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. I'm Brian No, He's Jimmy Cook here on The Fan. Okay, so the Seattle Mariners, they celebrated a home run with a trident. That's right. A trident, the three-pronged spear. You know, you sometimes see it in, uh, like, the Little Mermaid. Remember the dude with the trident? Sure. Remember that? No? Sure. I, I know. I, I, I'd be. I'm sorry. The tone of that definitely sounds like I'm saying sure. Brian knows yeah. insane right now. Yeah. It was sure. I know who you're talking about. I can't remember. Uh, it was uh, Ariel's dad. Yes. No. Yeah. I just can't yeah. remember his name. Um, I can't either. I think I'll go with one I can remember. Think of Aquaman, right? Like every now and again, you got the <laughs> the trident there, right? Like like that. Yeah. There's another example. Well, uh, Julio Rodriguez of the Mariners, he celebrated with the trident. He's just in the dugout and just stands there with it. It's just what they do. But we have to play the trident part of the movie with Anchorman here, right? Check it out. It jumped up a notch. It did, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, I stabbed a man in the heart. I saw that. Brick killed a guy. <laughs> did you throw a trident? Yeah, there were horses and a man on fire, and I killed a guy with a trident. Brick, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. You should find yourself a safe house or a relative close by. Lay low for a while because you're probably wanted for murder. <laughs> Maybe they're just big Anchorman fans, and that's how they came up with this celebration. I'm not too sure. I hope so. If you had to see them uh, trying to throw it in the dugout at anybody, so yeah. we'll, we'll see if that's, if that's next in the celebrations. All right, Jimmy, so we got a couple of minutes before your picks here, and we're expecting you to win us tons of money here tonight. Do what I can. So a little, uh, you know, the warm-up band before the closing act, if you will. How about this? There's a new coalition. So it's aimed at limiting the amount of gambling ads during games. Okay, so some politicians are involved in this. Some leagues have signed up for it. And so I don't have a problem with it. You don't want to be bombarded with gambling ads left and right. That's fine. But a couple of these bullet points... They got the hair on the back of my neck to stand up here, Jimmy. Okay? Here are some of the core principles outlined by this coalition. All right? It says, um, sports betting should be marketed only to adults of legal betting age. I mean, question. How do you... I guess you you technically put that in there, like you got to be 18 to join or whatever. Like, if a little kid is watching the NBA playoffs and sees a commercial, you know what I'm saying? Like... I don't know, but uh, sports betting advertising should not promote irresponsible or excessive gambling or degrade the customer experience. What ad promotes <laughs> excessive and irresponsible gambling? What? Well, please point that ad out to me. I, I I don't have one for you. If I'm, I don't agree with this, by the way. But if I'm being devil's advocate, I would say maybe if some of the parlay exotic ads are being presented in a way that makes them seem more friendly and fun when in reality there's not a lot of high level value in parlays they're hard to hit but otherwise no I would not say there's a straight arrow of irresponsible or excessive uh, or misleading advertisements like that I, I just think that I guess because it's it's newer now it's being legalized on a state by state basis nope. and many states have said sure 
We'd love to make millions of dollars. That sounds like a good idea. Other states are <laughs> slow to the party, but um, I, I just think it's an overreaction to anticipate it being nothing but bad. They're just gambling addicts galore. It's destroying lives. Like, you know what I mean? I mean, some of these people, the coalitions and all that, that's what they act as if it is. It's. I think it's a complete overreaction myself. I mean, I, I think it's a little extreme, but I'm also like, look, if they want to put out more safeguards, as long as it doesn't overcomplicate it for those that are, you know, yeah. just casual gamblers, just kind of do it for the fun of it or, or just enjoy, you know, the thrill of it every now and again with some buddies playing down some bets, that's fine. As long as it doesn't overcomplicate the process to do that, I'm fine with more safeguards. I'm fine with more guardrails. But, you know, you've opened Pandora's box. Protect those. Protect people that could be potential victims. Just be careful, right. though. All right, Jamie, let's get to your picks here. The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. We got to be quick. Out of the gate, I got this at minus 155. It's now minus 175. Taking the Suns to win on the money line against the Clippers tonight. Now Ooh. it gets interesting. Taking Kevin Durant, minus 105 odds, over 28.5 total points. Kawhi Leonard, over 28.5 total points. That at minus 125. Juice. Going to take the Arizona Diamondbacks, plus 110 first five innings. Switching back to basketball, taking Steph Curry, over 29.5. Clay, over 4.5 threes. Steph, over four and a half threes, but it's not enough. Give me the Kings plus 200 on the money line tonight in the Bay Area. Wow. Jimmy, you have 19 bets tonight. I love something to keep your eye on. Late three-pointers. Late. Like, with about six minutes to go, you can get plus 200, you know, like two to one odds. Keep your eye on that. If these are, like, that Warriors-Kings game, if it's a close game and it's a high offensive game, you might be able to hit. A couple of those. Just keep your eye on it. Keep your ears on JMV. He's up next. Have a great day. We'll catch you soon. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.